Hi everyone and welcome to the Y2 Podcast, where I interview interesting and noteworthy people to learn about their journeys and specifically look to understand their beliefs, values, mindsets, and the resources they use to get started and succeed on their journey. I'm your host Dustin Elliott and today's guest is Jason Price. Now, Jason has been in the recruitment game for the better part of the last decade and has taken a really interesting shift from being involved in the Australian music and hip-hop scene to becoming a leader in corporate Australia with some large Australian and global organizations. You're going to love today's conversation as Jason really opens up about his journey, starting with growing up in a tough neighborhood south of Adelaide, not finishing school, becoming a father at a young age, and taking a big career shift in the late 20s. We go really deep and we talk about self-talk, goal setting, and the idea of being an entrepreneurial employee, which I think Jason is an amazing example of. With that being said, let's get to today's conversation. Jason, welcome to the Y2 Podcast. Thanks for having me, Dustin. Now, Jason, we've we've known each other for what, a couple of years now, right? Eh? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, through training and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But I think you've literally just told me one of the most hilarious stories that I think I think sums you up pretty well. And I'd love for you just to start off today to, to just tell our listeners a little bit about the uh, the tattoo story. <laughs> uh, true, true. So I I guess I'm um I'm a pretty colourful person, but I've got lots of colour on my body as well, and. Uh, Quite a few moons ago, I was uh, working for an organization and I went off um, on a holiday after going through a pretty pretty intense period of time with work and, uh, and on a program, a leadership program that I was on. And I came out the other side of it and my boss at the time, Timur, had said to me, Jason, you need to take a bit of time out. I really think it's a good opportunity for you to go take a holiday. And I had a friend of mine who was um, performing over at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and I thought, you know, it'd be fun to go over there, spend a bit of time with him, have a bit of an adventure, um, work on a couple of shows at the Edinburgh Fringe and, and move on from there. So I went and did that and through my, uh, my journey there, I had many, many great stories that came about, which I'm not going to share with you now because they're, they're not really suitable for this, this type of an environment. Um, but when I returned, I got back in on a Monday and I thought, you know what, I'm going to not going to work today because I'm still feeling a little jet lagged and I... Just wasn't feeling up to it. So I um, tried to contact my boss and my boss wasn't available and I found out that um, whilst I was gone, they'd uh, neglected to tell me they'd gone through a full restructure. <laughs> um, welcome back. Welcome back. So I was the one person left in my team. My manager had gone. I had a new manager and they'd popped me into um, a role that was similar to what I was doing but not quite the same. And um, after many discussions, um, it was agreed that I would be able to leave the organization with a, a nice little handshake. So um, I stepped out of the business and thought, you know, I've got a little bit of money in my bank. Um, I've got a burning ambition to, to travel or do something creative and I'm going to take a bit of time. And fortunately, I had another job lined up already. Um, so I thought I can travel overseas or I can go get some tattoos done. I thought, you know, it would be even better. I could just buy a tattoo gun myself. So I decided I'd go and uh, get onto eBay. So I spent $100 and bought a shitty tattoo gun off eBay that arrived about five days later. And I had a practice pad to draw a couple of lines on. I think I did about four or five lines. <laughs> and then I just went hell for leather and just tattooed all of my left leg, um, which now is covered in lots of mishmoshed type roses and literally anything else that I could just draw on. Mm. So, um, so anybody at the time that really wanted to have any ink done by me, I 
totally told them not to get it done, but they wanted me to do it. So I tattooed my <laughs> sister's back, tattooed my leg, um, gave that a good red hot go for about a month and then decided no, I'm not very good at tattooing and I've marked <laughs> myself for life. But so, so be it. So that's my uh, dodgy story about my dodgy tattoos. Yeah. I'll, uh, one thing that I know when I first met you, one of the first things that stuck out at me yeah. is I met you actually, I think, at the gym at uh, mm. RBT in South Melbourne. And I'd obviously seen you had heaps of tattoos. And I think when I first saw you, I thought you must have been some sort of tradie or, you know, <laughs> something like that. But to actually learn that you were in corporate, you know, yeah. senior corporate was, I remember, a real shock to me. And then I know when we <laughs> met up for coffee, you came out and you, you know, I think you were in a, um, a business shirt and the tattoos just disappeared. And it, yeah. I always found it really weird because I've got this in my mind that if you're corporate, you're no tattoos, it's the, the polo and the shirt, uh, you know, the shorts and, you know, clean cut hair and no tattoos, <laughs> but you, you, uh, you, I think you walk such an interesting line and obviously what we'll, yeah. what we'll get into today that you really, you really buck the trend, I think, in terms of, yeah. um, what, what people think that they need to do and be to be successful in corporate, mm. but your story isn't really follow those rules or follow those lines as we get into today. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. And that's, I guess for me, it's a really interesting um, piece for myself, even when I sit back and reflect on the journey that I've gone through in my career and, and in my life, this real sense of not wanting to conform mm. has worked well for me. Um, but it's been a bit of a blessing and a curse too, because I haven't, I've felt quite out of place in, in some places, but it, it can become something that can really push you to do the best that you can do. And when you feel like others aren't believing in what it is that you're trying to bring about because of the potentially the way that you look, mm. um, it, it can throw some people off. But for me, it's been the total opposite. It's been the fuel to fire me and to get me going and to be really, really something that's driven me. Um, mm. I've had to refine that a little bit because it became a bit of a chip on my shoulder for a while, but I think I've got a good balance of it now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I want to use that a bit of a jumping off point. I want yeah. to go, I want to go back, way back, <laughs> back to, uh, back in the day, back to young Jason <laughs> in Adelaide. And, um, maybe I might just let you, uh, just start off to tell a bit about young Jason. You yeah. had quite a, uh, Quite an interesting past, didn't you? Yeah, I, I have, I have. It's, um, you know, it's, it's taken me a long time to feel comfortable with my background. Um, I think my sordid past is, <laughs> is something that has, again, been a catalyst for me to want to achieve and want to do things. I, I grew up in a very modest area. Um, it, was, it was a lower socioeconomic area in the south of the southern part of Adelaide. Um, in a place called Hackham, Hackham West to be, to be exact. Um, we would joke around when I was growing up and we'd call it, we'd call it the South Bronx. Um, <laughs> and in Adelaide, you've kind of got like two polar ends. You've got the north and the south and right far north, you've got the same low socioeconomic areas, um, second and third generation unemployed people. Um, and then you travel just a little bit further out and you've got one of the world's most amazing wine regions. Mm. You go south. Exactly the same deal. You go through Norlunga, Hackham, Morford Vale, places like that, which are all like good places. Like, don't get me wrong, good people there. Um, But again, you travel about 30 minutes a bit further, even 20 minutes, and you land in McLaren Vale, which is like a world famous wine region. So Mm. it's funny, like, my joke has been for those people who ask me where I'm from in Adelaide, they say, Oh, so where are you from? And I go, Well, 
in Adelaide, I'm, I, you know McLaren Vale? And they're like, yeah, I know McLaren Vale. Yeah, I'm from real close to McLaren Vale. <laughs> Anyone who's from Adelaide, they'll say, so you know McLaren Vale? They're like, yeah, I grew up in Hackham. Oh, that's a shithole. <laughs> so, um, but look, it's it's not bad. I think it's, for, it's, it's made me the person I am today. And I guess when I was growing up, it was the kind of space um, and area that you really had to be pretty, pretty street smart to... Um, get through it um, mm. and look it's not it's not I mean, we're not talking like you know anything like a a Bronx or a like a spot in the States that's really hardcore but it had some pretty um, some pretty interesting characters around the way and a lot of really hardcore things that were going on and Adelaide is um, pretty notorious for its bikey culture and there's mm. a lot of that stuff happening down in that space and um, you know and I, I grew up with people that were from you know, a lot of like single parent families, a lot of second and third generation unemployed. Um, and it was just normal for my friends and the people that were around me to have no positive role models from a, a employment perspective. Um, my, my parents were really modest. My, you know, I, I grew up in some testing circumstances at times. Um, and, but I think, you know, for me, I really surrounded myself with good, you know, what I thought was good people at the time, but mm -hmm. we, all had one another's back and we, we kind of ran together as a crew and took care of one another. And, you know, it was a kind of space that, um, you know, you, you do have to kind of think about the Darwinian way of survival of the fittest, you know, mm. because, and that sounds a bit wanky, but it, it was one of these sort of things where if you were to set your foot the wrong way, you might've ended up in a, in a pretty bad spot. Mm. Um, you know, and it wasn't uncommon for us to see our friends going off, um, to juvenile detention when we were like 15, 16 years old. And, um, you know, and I'm, I'm happy to say now that out of like, you know, the crew of 10 people that I, I knocked around with my friend who's still my oldest and closest friend, Sash, um, and I are the only two that have managed to step out of that lifestyle. And a lot of them have all continued to, to do what they do, mm -hmm. um, which is live a pretty dishonest life. That's, um, questionable is the best Absolutely. way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Now, one of the things as well, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about later today. But you have you, you have a real deep love of music and yeah. into music production, music creation, yeah. DJing, all that sort of thing. When did when did that come about? How did that start for you? Yeah. So it's you know growing up in in the area. So in Hackham, there was a real sort of crew mentality. It was a you know if anyone's a hip hop person, like hip hop is like runs through my veins, right? Like mm. I grew up listening to hip-hop, NWA, Nas, um, you know, I guess like Ice Cube, Predator was one of the first tapes I got, mm -hmm. um, Public Enemy, Fear of a Black Planet was one of the first like tapes I got, um, NWA, 100 Miles of Running was like, you know, one of the first tapes I got, and, you know, I was listening to that stuff in primary school, and, um, you know, we, we all listened to that type of music, we kind of took a lot of influence from American hip-hop culture, and that's where, for me, it, the love began, I love mm -hmm. the beats, I loved the lyrics. I loved what people were talking about. And it was something I could actually relate to. Um, I didn't immediately get into music. So the hip-hop hip -hop scene for me, like in, in the south of Adelaide, you either, like especially down south in Norlunga, you either grew up as a writer, um, so a graffiti writer, or you, which, you know, and obviously that's that's one of the four cultures, subcultures of hip-hop, um, or you were a surfer. So I certainly wasn't a surfer. I would occasionally surf because we're near the beach, but I was a... I was just a graph dude. So mm. for me, it started off with graffiti. So around about the age of 13, I started trying to get my name up and around the town and that was how you got your notoriety. So if you had your name out there and you were being seen and you were getting up as we called it, then that was 
a bit of hood fame for you, <laughs> to put it bluntly. <laughs> um, you know, my boys and I would like really get out there and do it. And then that kind of led from tagging through to painting, um, painting. I, I love drawing. Mm -hmm. Um, and to the point where when I went to high school, um, I went to a school called Marion high school and they had a um, program for gifted art students and mm -hmm. I got accepted into that. And I went in there and, um, just drew and did my thing but and, you know, and do you remember where you started to draw before that yeah I'd always drawn like I'd always been someone who was really drawn to being creative I love to express myself through and now it's through music it's you know through now it's through business I get to express myself through you know working through transformations and building things and I guess that's like where my entrepreneurial spirit um really comes into play but back when I was younger it was you know I didn't like I wanted to play music but we couldn't afford to mm. you know like I couldn't afford to do the, the drumming stuff um, that I wanted to do. And so I just drew, um, you know, it was, didn't cost a lot to have a pen and a paper and put your, your thoughts on paper. And I was really good at lettering. Mm -hmm. um, and it was when I was kind of, I reckon maybe 14 or 15, I hooked up with a bit of an older graffiti writer and um, he sort of took me out a few times, kind of showed me how to control a can the proper way and how to paint the right way. And then that's, it just kind of kicked off from there. So, mm -hmm. you know, and that leads to other things too. And you get involved in some stuff that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily get involved in. Mm -hmm. Any parent wouldn't want their kids to do that. And <laughs> I know my son's 16 and a half now, and I'm pretty sure that if I knew he was running around at nighttime trying to get out there and get his name up, um, mm. I'd probably be a little skeptical on what that actually meant and <laughs> looked and felt like. So I can imagine the, the terror I put my parents through. So Yeah, absolutely. Um, but then that, that kind of from there led into music. Um, and the love of music and the love of emceeing. And so you go from writing your name on a wall to writing your name as big as you can on a wall to filling it in with lots of color to turning those, those designs into burners. And then from there you start ciphering with your, your mates and you, you get into freestyle sessions and then that's kind of where that kicked off. And then for, fortunately I, um, managed to hook up with a few pretty well-known people in the hip-hop scene here in Australia and that really became my opportunity to sort of mm. get into it and, and I was really lucky to have um, uh, like DJ Debris from the Hilltop Hoods um, really work with me and show me how to make some beats and he was the first guy to kind of give me Logic Audio and the first guy to um, hook me up with a disc full of software to mm. write beats and allowed me to sit in the studio and listen to him um, produce when he was working on the Hoods stuff on the Hilltop Hoods music so I was really fortunate to have known him through a person and, you know, thanks to him, you know, I, I can write the kind of music that I do now. So, mm -hmm. so then as you, as you're getting older now, you didn't finish high school, did you? No, nah. So I, I, I kind of struggled at high school. Like I, I, I was smart and I, I, like I knew I was smart. Um, God, that sounds wanky, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> With a smug grin on my face right now. Um, <laughs> you dickhead. Um, so, but you, I, I kind of, I, I, I found things really easy. Mm -hmm. Across all subjects? Like yeah, you just, ma maths, quickly, yeah. yeah, so I found maths easy. I really didn't like science. I just didn't go to science. Mm -hmm. um, so I got 0% for science. <laughs> um, I was pretty proud of that as well. Um, I really didn't attend class all that often. Mm -hmm. And um, I was advanced uh, a year level for art and design. Mm -hmm. Um, and then with my maths, I was in the advanced class and I was in advanced classes for English. And, um, I just found that I just didn't feel challenged at school. And when I got to year 10, um, I'd already done year 10 art and mm -hmm. I'd already done year 10 design. And, um, I just 
to be honest, mate, I couldn't be fucked. I, mm-hmm. I wanted to go out and paint and hang out with my buddies and yeah. drink and do that sort of stuff. So I did that instead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and then my school closed down and I went to another school and um, I lasted about six months and I just thought it's not for me and I left. Mm. Um, and I started working. And, you know, and just, and I started hustling. I just started doing my thing and trying to make money how I wanted and how I could and working and, you know, I dabbled with trying to do t-shirt, um, like business and having my own designs on t-shirts. And How'd you get started into that? Um, it was funny cause I'd done a few designs like that I'd painted on walls and I then thought, you know, what? like I could probably print these onto a t-shirt and sell them. And there was a guy in Adelaide at the time who was doing that stuff already really really well established graffiti artist um and he this like store called area 101 and um his name's cab and i don't know the guy but he's a legend in the scene mm-hmm. and um you know you go to his store in in prospect and you'd buy like his jumpers and i thought oh, i could probably put my own designs on a t-shirt so mm-hmm. i was kind of influenced by him and at that time you'd be called a biter because he was the only one doing it and you know you'd <laughs> you're biting like an old school dude yeah. style right so it's sort of but i may have made down at christie's beach this place it cost me about $15 and I sold them for $22 wow, to yeah. my buddies. And I think I sold a grand total of about 15 of them. <laughs> and I think I bought a half a carton of beer with my mate and that was about it. So, for a successful uh, joint yeah, adventure there. Yeah, it was. I got really pissed that weekend. Um, so it's just, yeah, but I, I, I've, I've always just wanted to create and share things with people. So mm. that, you know, for me, that was, I, I kind of thought, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm giving it a go. I mean, at that time, we didn't know that, you know, you were hustling and you were being entrepreneurial. We just mm-hmm. kind of did things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was other ways like we'd kind of turn sort of tricks to, to get money and stuff like that. And you just kind of, you know, you have a couple of little side things going on and, um, you know, it was just, it was just a done thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think everyone was like, you know, there's this thing I know now, um, which, you know, I didn't know then, but it's called frugal innovation. It's mm-hmm. doing a lot with a little, it's been entrepreneurial, it's starting something from scratch and starting mm-hmm. something from nothing. I love doing that. Mm. Yeah. So then, uh, drop out of school, you're hustling, you're obviously just trying to survive, I'd imagine. So how did your evolution of music sort of carry you through this? Yeah. Through your, sort of your early twenties then? So I, I kind of, I, I left home really young. Um, how old were you? Do you remember? Oh, look, I was in and out. I kind of, I think I moved to my grandparents' house when I was like 14. Mm-hmm. Um, had a pretty turbulent relationship with my mother and look, I, I love her now. She's a great woman. Um, she's gone through a lot and she's a, she's a tough old bird. She's a mm-hmm. Scottish woman who's <laughs> through and through a Scottish person. And my dad, you know, worked a lot and, um, we just didn't, you know, we just kind of butted heads. We were very, very similar. Um, and then, uh, I'd moved, I had my own place when I was about, I think late 16, sort of early 17. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was, but I was like in and out staying at friends' houses, but that was when I had my first place and. I think from there, it was like, I started to rap a lot. Mm -hmm. I started to freestyle rap a lot. And that was where I really sort of got into it. And I started going to gigs and hanging out with other people that did the same thing. And then um, at around about the age of 19, I thought, I'll try and like my hand at trying to make some some beats. Mm -hmm. And I had a four track tape machine and a edition of music. 2000 or something on Sony PlayStation. <laughs> I think it might have been or some, some yeah. sort of music program on Sony PlayStation or something. And, and, and I'd made these really shitty beats yeah. and wrapped this really crap music. So <laughs> it was fucking terrible. Yeah. <laughs> the music's still not good now, put it that way. But it's like, yeah. <laughs> so 
so you start so you start going off to these uh, off to these shows. You start trying to rap. So I know you started you started a label at some point. You started actually what was it again? Getting yeah. a label or yeah. Was it so again? it was a it was a label. So I think um you know when I was uh, twenty um I, I'd, I'd been playing around. So that's when I met um, Baz from the Hoods. Um, so DJ Debray from the Hilltop Hoods and met him through a mate of mine, Luke. And Luke managed to somehow get a pair of Technics 1200 turntables and a Vestax mixer. And we were all like, oh man, you know, <laughs> this is it. Yeah. We, we are going to become super, super fly. And we're yeah. going to, we are going to make loads of money from being hip hop musicians. <laughs> and, um, and then you have this harsh reality check and you talk to somebody who's been doing it for a while and they're kind of like, yeah, no nah, man, <laughs> not going to happen. So he, he gave me this, um, this disc and, um, and then from there I just started playing around with trying to make real beats and I kept saying so it was good I kept calling him up he'd give me advice he was like kind of do this like what I'd watch him another guy called Simplex um, so Andrew um, from Terra Firma um, another really you know old school dope Adelaide crew um, and they were part of the Certified Wise crew which is which the Hilltop Hoods had started and um, before they, they did all the Golden Era stuff and it was um, you know and both of those guys kind of took their time to show me how to write music and, and make beats and it was kind of it was around sort of 2003 that I just worked really hard and just kind of got to this point where I was like, you know, I'm ready to release a record. Um, and at that point, I had a studio that looked basically like a crack house because it was <laughs> really, really terrible. So, and another guy I knew had a, a place called the Sticky Tape Lodge. It was basically held together by I Sticky love it, Tape. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and, you know, he's still writing music now. So he's um, a guy called Trolls who's um, in a group called AB Original now and mm-hmm. um, really, really amazing music. And he was in a crew called The Funkles and... Um, or still is, and I, I called mine Crack House because it was just a bit of a, a dive and mm-hmm. it was all kind of pit, pitted together with bits and pieces of shit and odds and ends. Um, when people ask me what it's called now, I just say CH Projects because <laughs> I feel a little ashamed to <laughs> a say bit better, it's yeah. a Crack House. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's a, and, that, and that's you know the label that we started and from there, I kind of had a couple of people that I worked on with music. So there's a guy called Mark One. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mark, uh, was a person I met through the scene, the hip hop scene in Adelaide and, um, we released his record through, um, through the label and, um, with distribution through Obese Records, which were at the time like, um, so Tyrion over at, um, Obese, which is otherwise known as Pegs. And was it pretty um, much just running you the label at the time, doing obviously the production as well as yeah, making relationships so and creating it, a business out of it? Yeah. So it was like, it was funny cause it was, um, I don't know if we, we didn't really kind of look at it that way. It was like, it just, it was a channel for us to get music out. So mm. Pegs over at Obese gave us the distribution. So he made sure that it got into the stores for us and gave us a distribution deal for Mark's record. Um, Did you sell them on that one or was it just a I good know. relationship? It was just, yeah, it was just funny because like we knew people, we knew different people through the industry. It was very much like, you know, you know somebody, they introduced you to somebody, a mate of mine had just released a record through them, um, and a guy called Andy Structure and he did a bit of a play on Triple J and I know Andy really well, like, you know, he's one of my really close friends too and what, well, you know, it still is as well, but he, um, yeah, I, don't, I can't quite remember how it came about. I remember talking on the phone and we just kind of landed it. He said, sure, I'll release it for you. Mm. There was no paperwork involved. There was nothing. <laughs> like it was just, yeah, we got it out there and mm-hmm. he pressed it up. And um, I think, I'm not sure if we pressed it or he pressed it. I can't remember. But um, And then we did my record um, before that and that was just independent. I literally burned the CDs myself, mm. printed the covers myself, folded the covers, put yeah. them into the insert, the inserts into the, the CD sleeve and then walked around to record stores and basically sold them. Um, How much I, did you sell them for? 
Uh, I sold the records for about 10 bucks each, yeah. and I think they were sold for $15 in the store. But, hmm. you know, it charted in the, so I think it was what they call the South Australian Music Industry Association charts, Samia yeah. charts. Um, I still got a lot. I found them when I was just unpacking the new house just recently. Um, I charted in the top 10 in South Australia for 13 wow. weeks. Now, that was so. for your first album? Yeah. yeah. Wow. And, um, and that led me on to being picked up for a couple of music conferences in Adelaide and at that point is when we um, we decided we'd set up a group and we started a group called Minefield and that was um, the last record we released on the album. But as as a label, we released about four records and that last record was through Crack House projects, um, but distribution and, and so the full full deal that we had through Shogun Distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did all the marketing for us. It was a, a proper proper deal and at that point it was kind of 2006 that we landed that. Mm. Um, and then unfortunately we broke up in 2007 and I kind of lost my passion for music. So. Yeah, it came to a bit of a crossroads. So. so, for a guy that didn't finish school, who essentially just kept chasing interests, yeah. it sounds like you were obviously. How are you? How are you picking up on all this? How are you learning to have these conversations? How are you learning how to price it and understand marketing? Yeah. And how? Where, where did where did that sort of learning to obviously create a, a fairly you know yeah. semi successful um, um, label? Where did that all come from? Yeah, I mean, look, we I don't know. It, it, it depends on how you define success. I was talking to someone <laughs> the other day, and I said. We were having a couple of text messages and he said to me, he's like, it's, it, the record sounds good. He had, and this guy was like into Aussie hip hop and kind of knew of my old group. And like we released this record 11 years ago or something and um, gave him a copy and, and he was like, you know, it sounds pretty successful. Like you, you were pretty successful. I said, well, if you define success by, you know, the ability to eat beans and <laughs> um, not have a place to live, then yeah, sure, I was really <laughs> successful. So, um, so we didn't really make any money from it. But I, I think... Um, it was more, I've always found through now in my career, um, and at that time, I've always had somebody that I've looked up to. Mm. I, I'm a pretty gregarious person, and I like to be around people, and I don't have any issues with communicating with people. Like I really like to learn what people are about and, mm-hmm. and connect. Um, you know, I really pride myself on the fact that I never used to think it was a skill, um, but I like what I do now is I bring people together and I help them to connect. Mm. Like that's, that's my role, right? So that's yeah. what I do. And that's what I was doing back then. And I found that that's really, that really was probably one of the differentiators for me compared to others. Is I didn't have any issues with getting out and talking to people. And then I always had a mentor. I always had somebody that would, I would look to, to ask questions and spitball ideas with and, um, and get feedback from. Mm. So that's kind of how that stuff came about. And I think that that's, that really for me was what was, you know, it allowed me to, to do the things I did. And, you know, and otherwise it's just a matter of just giving it a go. I mean, you know, you think now, like the industry, I mean, now we kind of, we, we talk about the 70, 20, 10 learning philosophy. So 70% on the job, 20% with mentors and co- mentor and coaching um, or mentorship and coaching uh, and 10% in classroom. Mm. So, so I'd, I'd imagine those early mentorship relationships, they, you probably didn't view them as mentors or probably the people you were, that were mentoring you didn't view them as no. your mentee. You were just had a person who you were calling yeah. up, asking questions, trying yeah. to learn, running things through, that sort of thing. Eh? Yeah. And, and you know, it's for me, like I'd, I, the label was more of a, you know, I had a music studio that I'd set up my, I'd, I'd learned how to make beats. And the next thing was, all right, well, I've, I've done production. How do I record my vocals? Mm-hmm. And I had a couple of friends who had studios and you'd have to wait to get time with them, you know, and we all wasn't our, these weren't our jobs. Like mm-hmm. these, were, these, these were passion projects on the side where we worked just shitty jobs to kind of fund this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could not just manage to get time in. And when I did, there was a pressure that you only had a certain amount of time in the studio. So I just kind of thought, oh, I'll just teach myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I enrolled and went to 
and studied audio engineering at SAE College and you know that gave me the, the grounding in there and you know, I've always just found that I, I'm, I've been pretty resourceful like if I want to learn something I've got good learning agility and I know how I learn now so I can mm-hmm. learn really quickly um, back then I was still sort of figuring out what it was you know was it through reading was it through doing was like you know audio visual or kinesthetic or a combination of those for learning so um, but for me it was just doing giving it a go and learning while I did it so that mm-hmm. was 70% taste do you think um, that mentality was picked up just from not really having you, you're you know on the streets just doing your thing hustling do you think yeah. it just became because that was back to if you didn't have a go you were essentially going to starve or you were not yeah. going to well I don't know I mean it's like I, I it's not you know like I had food and I had a roof over my head I had food I had everything else like it wasn't you know like I said it's not you know you weren't doing it super tough or anything but you know growing up like we we would get things like you know that we we needed but we we would not have all the other things that you know you see other people having and and then as I kind of grew older you know you kind of see your friends around you and you're living in a lower socioeconomic area and it's just the norm is to like just not have the things that you know the mm-hmm. people that are living in the east of Adelaide have and you don't have the luxurious sort of cars and homes and the new Nike trainers and that mm-hmm. sort of stuff so you know you do you know there's that hustling mentality to try and create something you know how can I get that mm-hmm. um, and some people would do it the right way and some people would do it the wrong way mm-hmm. um, but I think you know the thing is if you're not going to give it a go you're going to miss out on an opportunity aren't you and I, I'm always one that has always really believed in the fact that like you've got to create opportunities for yourself mm-hmm. I don't know it was just funny it was like this one time my dad gave me a couple of really good pieces of advice and um, you know, my dad was a very, very, um, simple man. Like, and that's not saying that in a derogatory way at all. I love my father like dearly and, and, you know, and God bless him. He's not with us anymore, but he, um, he, I was, I was taken to go down to, um, place called Colonnades in the longer one time and they had like a, they, it was like, it was like a Formula One driver or there was like a car, a famous car racing driver and I don't know anything about cars right? and I still don't give a shit about cars now. <laughs> it's not my thing. Um, and I went down there and I, and I just stood in the back waiting for him to come and sign my bit of paper. I don't even fucking even know who he was, right? So mm. I, the paper didn't mean shit to me. My dad's like, go get a signature, get a signature or an autograph or whatever. So I get him, I'm waiting there and he's there for 15 minutes and kids are running up and pushing in front of me and they're just like, getting right in the, in the way and I'm just standing there politely waiting my turn mm-hmm. and uh, I just waited there and I, and I never got the, the, the autograph and I went back and I said to my dad and I was pretty upset I don't know why I was upset because I didn't know this dude <laughs> is All right, so I'm like I didn't get the autograph from that man that I don't even know oh damn it life's over and um, I I don't know I just I went back and I was really kind of sitting there and I thought oh, you know this is pretty shit and dad's like well did you go up and ask him to give you an autograph and I was like no, I didn't. Hmm. He was like, well, don't let people push in front of you. You've got to go and get it if you want it. You've got to go and get it. Hmm. And it's funny, like, because I watched my dad, you know, a lot of the time, like, say things and, you know, not necessarily act on them, but, like, he did, you know. He, he, but when he was younger, he just gave it a go. He left and he went overseas and he was 15 years old and he decided, like, well, 16, I think he was, he moved to New Zealand and, hmm. you know, started a whole new life. And that's, like, at the age of 16, that's, mm-hmm. that's insane, right? And the next piece of advice he gave me was, if you don't ask, you don't get. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've always figured that, you know, you need to ask for something because if you're not going to put the ask in, you're never going to know mm-hmm. whether you're going to get it or not and what's the worst that can happen. Mm-hmm. And if you want something, go and get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. So um, when, did, uh, when did your kid come along? How old were you when you... Yeah. 
So I've, I became a father at the, um, the grand old age of 20. Mm. So um, I had a girlfriend and we've been together for about three years. And um, we, you know, good relationship and we got together and um, at the age of, yeah, I was 20 and she was 19 and um, we found out five months into the pregnancy. Wow. Excuse me, and he came about two weeks early as well. So I, <laughs> I found out I was becoming a dad, and then, um, and then, literally three and a half months later, he came yeah. along. And I tell you, like, my my life at that time was it, it wasn't going in a good direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I was nineteen. I'd had some friends that um, I had I had quite a few friends that had gone off to prison, mm-hmm. and um, I I wasn't doing great things and I just was on a bit of a slippery slope mm-hmm. um, and my son came along and it was just a blessing, mm. an absolute blessing. I, I think he's a, one of the most special people. Um, I get a little choked up when I talk about him. He's um, a great kid. He, a I, have kid. To, I have to yeah. say, you know, deviate away for a sec. I, yeah. I love hanging out with you too because I think yeah. you guys have such a very real relationship as well too. Mm. Like I think you, it's uh, you, you, like every time I've seen you, granted, not not been a lot, but yeah. you, you you're you're a father figure, but you're also a friend and a mentor, I think as well yeah. too. And, and the conversation I've seen you have with with your kid is, I look to you know myself and my relationship with my father, and mm. it it was it was similar, but I think you take it at much more of a deep level where he really takes things on board that you say, yeah. and especially he's he's only what sixteen, seventeen now, so yeah, he's six and a half, yeah. still at that age where he's still pretty pretty rebellious, but to be able <laughs> to take on the old man's words, yeah, and uh, you know have such a good relationship, I think that's phenomenal. So it, I mean, he's an amazing kid. Like mm. he's he's just a great great kid, and he listens. He's diligent. He's intelligent he's not a wanker about being intelligent, right? Like he's just a good kid and mm. he's got a good heart and an old soul. And so, so then when he came along then, so what, what shifted you're on this, you're on this, not, not a slippery slope of a path. Mm. Um, you know, your son comes along. What, what changed then? What? Well, I, I don't know. It was just this sense of responsibility. So at the time, like, you know, um, so his mother was told that she could never have children. Um, and, we found out that this was happening and it was something that, you know, we thought was a real gift for us. Mm-hmm. And, um, from that point I thought, well, you know what, let's, um, let's do it. So we did it and we told her, um, we told her parents, um, they were very traditional Singaporeans. Um, and we got married, um, mm-hmm. after that and, um, Tan came along and just changed my life. And, and I think, you know, for me it was really this, sense of responsibility and that I had some, uh, another life to take care of. And I was really fortunate that I was allowed, or I was, I was gifted the opportunity to be a stay at home father. And I built a really amazing relationship with him. I do remember my very first day. So his mother went to work, so she'd gone back to work and, um, I sat there and I thought, you know, this is going to be great. I'm going to watch this kid, he's going to sleep all day and <laughs> I'm going to write music and that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, so the first day was pretty much like that. The second day he didn't stop crying and that just happened for about six months I reckon wow. it was and it was just intense um, and I remember calling up the youth helpline in Adelaide and I was crying and I was like, mm. I have no fucking idea what I'm doing. Yeah. Help me. <laughs> so I did like a, a one day parenting 
course or something. It was like with a midwife and I went down to a place called Seaford and I sat there with her and she showed me a few sort of tips and tricks on how to be a parent and um, wow. the rest was history. And mm-hmm. we just, it's just really special, you know, but it was funny, right? Because, you know, you talked about before, like, you know, my tattoos and the way I look and I'm, you know, for those of you listeners out there, I, um, I'm a bold man. <laughs> I'm very, very bold. <laughs> and uh, um, I would got quite a few tattoos and I'd, I'd go to um, the parenting room where I'd go to like a little, you know, play and fun place or something where the kids play around and I'd be the only dad mm. sitting there and I would have all these like mothers around and like... I couldn't interact with them because I looked like a freak mm. and I'd sit in like, you know, I'd go into bottle feed ton and like the change room and there'd just be a whole bunch of mothers sitting in there. And I really, really, really felt out of place, you mm. know? Um, and then I went to a father's group one morning and it was like, no disrespect to these dudes, but oh man, I was like, this is where like really uncool people go to die. <laughs> like all they did was talk about their kids yeah. and it was like, oh, and he farted and burped today. And I'm like, fuck this. So I never went back. So <laughs> never went back. And, and you know, but it's funny because like now I've got friends who are having kids and I've got a 16 and a half year old and I've already sort of kind of like been there, done that. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. But I've been really fortunate that, you know, at that point it just gave me a sense of purpose. And mm. I then went from wasting time doing things that I shouldn't have been doing anyway to, um, really kind of focusing in on other things. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've always been really goal driven and it's for me, it's, it's about kind of setting my sights on what it is that I'm going after mm-hmm. and then getting it. And, and I've now become a little bit more in tune with how I go about doing that. So, you know, it's about taking the smaller yeah. steps to get to the, to the, to the final destination. So. I'm, I'm happy you said that actually, because that's something we'll revisit a little bit later yeah. on. I think is, is, is your, your relationship around goals. Cause you're by far one of the most driven people I've ever met. And oh, well, the most, you. the most focused I think as well too, which I think is, obviously why you've been successful and we'll talk more about that a little bit but yeah. to, to maybe just to dig in a little bit at this point in the timeline mm. have you always been goal orientated has it always been that you set a goal whatever that might be and you're driven towards that or how, yeah. how did your relationship with goals start I, I'm not quite sure I so I am um, I, I do remember when I was younger I loved playing basketball mm-hmm. I wasn't that good at footy I was big mm-hmm. um, and then everyone grew and got bigger than me but um, <laughs> but I could bruise people, I could run through them, like, and I'd, I'd had no issues with, you know, biffing and fighting, I, I mean, honestly, I used to love fighting, that's one of the things I used to do a lot, and, and I totally don't condone that, so please don't fight, um, so, <laughs> love, a little disclaimer there, lo- there. Love, your, love your friends, right, because, yeah. like, honestly, it's much better to, to love and, and learn than it is to, um, to fight, and it, I, I think, um, I remember playing basketball, and I remember reading this book called Basketball Fun duh mentals like as in mental right? <laughs> yeah, I love it yeah and um and I love Jordan and Latrell Sprewell is my favorite player mm-hmm. when he played for Golden State Warriors and you know I just love the way he played and he just played with such finesse and fair bit of attitude and he just like got got the job done um you know but he wasn't like the best player and I loved Tim Hardaway's crossover I loved um AI like you know there's some good players out there but for me it was kind of like you know I really wanted to be known for being a good shooter because mm-hmm. um, I wasn't as tall as some of the other players and I didn't have the vertical leap everyone else had um, so I just remember thinking about, right, I'm going to just shoot and I'm going to shoot and I'm going to shoot. And I'd go every night mm-hmm. after school. Um, this is, you know, before I went to high school and before I got into other stuff and I just shoot and shoot and shoot. And I'd always be visualizing where the ball was going. So I'd visualize it going through the hoop and, um, I'd visualize it going through the net and, um, and then I really worked on my crossover and, you know, it was those sorts of things. So I just, I just think, you know, I kind of, at that time it was like reading a book to, teach me how to do it which mm. I went and got from the, the library on my own because um, we couldn't buy it and you know and just like 
th- those things there, like that kind of, and then I started getting success from it. I went, well, actually, if I kind of plan how to do something, mm-hmm. this is how I'll do it. Yeah. And that became the thing. And I, and I found that I would think a lot and I, I got caught in a place where I had paralysis through analysis. Mm. I'd do a lot of pointing um, or a lot of aiming and not a lot of shooting. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I probably, I'd take more shots than I would normally. Um, and that, but that's, that's a learned skill for me. Um, but it's always been really pointed and directed as to what it is that I can get and achieving it. And then once I've achieved it, I know that, okay, that's the formula that I need to use. And that's mm. kind of where it started for me. So it was always like, you know, I was going to go to Marion High School mm. because I had a gifted art program and I wanted to get the hell out of going to Christie's Beach High School, which was like one of the shittest schools in the mm-hmm. South, but I had a gift and I could use it. So I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember sitting there for three weeks leading up to the interview to go to the school and just drawing pictures the best that I could draw. Mm-hmm. So I could sit there with the teacher and show them what I could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and that was, for me, the goal was to get into that school and I did. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So very, from a very, very early age, obviously you were starting to instill that mentality. It's, yeah. It's, it's a theme I've noticed. So the, um, the previous, the previous interview, um, with Corey Wassel from First Wealth, we mm. have a conversation cause he's extremely goal oriented as well. Um, yeah. and through the whole conversation, we got to the end and, it really came out that he was he was quite competitive as well, and yeah. so from a young age, it wasn't necessarily that he was goal but goal oriented from a young age, but he was very competitive with his brother. Yeah. And what had ended up happening is he wasn't trying to set a goal; he was just trying to beat his brother. And he was then starting to understand and, and yeah. develop these skills, which was just about beating his brother. But we unpack now to say that he's got discipline, he's got the ability to goal set, he's yeah. you know, very focused and all these sorts of disciplines, but it never started that way. It was just sort of having fun through yeah. you know, through very innocent means, I guess. It's funny, right? I, if you were to speak to my mother, she would probably say that I've always needed, and I'm going to really lean into this right now, um, because why the hell not, like, you know. It's all about being vulnerable, isn't it? If anyone's read Brene Brown, they know it. That's what it is. You lean into it. You mm-hmm. need to be vulnerable because yeah. if you're not, you're not going to learn anything about yourself and others won't be able to connect. Mm-hmm. Um, she would say that I always needed some sort of reassurance. Mm-hmm. So I was always saying, oh, I love you, mum. And she'd be you know, saying, oh, well, I love you too. And I'd you know, just be kind of a little unsure about that. And I don't know what it was, but it was like for me, you know, a driver for me, with my goals was that I could achieve. And if I achieved, then I'd get recognition and the recognition mm-hmm. would confirm that I'd done a good job. And that's been really great. And at, at that, at that stage of my life, um, it worked. What I did find that when that became the absolute driver for me to achieve things in the, in the past, when I did not achieve, I felt like I'd failed really badly mm. and I'd, I'd have really, really poor self-talk mm. um, to the point where, you know, it's like the way that we speak to ourselves mm. is worse than we would speak to anybody. Mm-hmm. And your internal dialogue with yourself can be really detrimental to your ability to do anything. And it can mm-hmm. get to that point where it can create amazing amounts of anxiety. Um, and you just really need to learn how to be kind to yourself mm. And, mm. and be a bit easier on yourself. So it was something that really allowed me to achieve some great things. But when I did start to fail, it, it actually created a fear of failure for myself. And um, I, I found that I missed a couple of really great opportunities because I, I didn't take the leap of faith that I probably should have. Mm-hmm. Um, and in particular with my music stuff, in some production stuff, I had some opportunities without going through too much detail to produce for some really amazing artists. Um, and I just never got the, the tapes through to them for them to listen to my music mm-hmm. because I wasn't sure how it would fare and I wasn't willing to accept that feedback. Now yeah. I love feedback now. I think feedback's 
a really brilliant thing because it gives me an opportunity to take it on board mm. or leave it um, and do something with it. Yeah. I'm a big believer in performance feedback revision in that loop. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for me, it's more now it's, it's yeah, sure, I love recognition. I love doing a good job and have, um, having people recognize it. But inside, it's knowing that I've done the best that I can do. And, what, and if I haven't hit it, if I haven't hit it and I haven't actually nailed it, that's cool. Mm-hmm. What have I learned from that? So when I do it again, I can probably get it, but I can always walk away with a positive from it. Mm. And I guess that's for me. It's like, how do I turn my fixed mindset into a growth mindset? And that's where I really feel that I've got this growth mindset that allows me to, to really give things a go but, and, and not have it the fear of failure anymore. Yeah, there's no yeah. failure. There's only feedback. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's been interesting. And I know that's been a real, that's been probably my biggest journey because through, through growing up, through university, I always had this mentality that if it wasn't perfect, then you don't do it. Yeah. And so through everything I ever did, um, it was always about trying to drive perfection. And yeah. to, to the point where um, I had a lot of negative self-talk as well. Yeah. Because I could take one thing and without any real data or reason, mm. a rational reason, I could create a problem out of it. So um, I spent a long time more just falling into the things I did, yeah. more stumbling on them, not actually driving for them. Yeah. Um, and this this podcast has actually been a deliberate exercise to to do it. Yes. Yeah. Just, just just to do it and to take that sort of same thing where I don't always take feedback well, I have to admit. Mm. I'm, sometimes I have a bit of a very defensive personality when it yeah. comes to a lot of feedback, but I know at the same time I need to lean into that feedback and yeah. I need to be very... Not not rational because, but trying to not become emotional about the feedback. So really try to listen yep. to it, distill it, understand it. Don't take it personally. Yep. Um. And and try to then roll that into something. And that's where even with this podcast, it's even you know this idea started you know almost a year ago. Really, yep. a big big fan of podcasts. I know it's it's such a beautiful format. But it was always me trying to get the format right, get it perfect, try to weed everything out. Like even um. Even the creation of the name, even yeah. the very the concept I've always had, but the name of it. And Corey, who at first interview, he he said, "Mate, you just have to set a deadline and do it." Yeah, exactly. If you do, and that's the thing. Sometimes, like we're you know, I'm writing a record at the moment with um, some really talented guys in Adelaide, and we've written the whole record. Um, and with work commitments and other things that are going on in your life, it's really difficult to try and finish this off. And that's a six six track album. We're filming a, um, a clip for it in a couple of weeks' time. Um, you know, and this is going to be a great thing. It's going to be the first first official record that I've released with my name on it in 10 years. Hmm. I'm really proud of it. It's great music. It's good content. It's something I would real, feel really comfortable putting my name aside right now and going into my, my workplace right now and saying, hey, this is some of the music mm-hmm, I've written. Mm-hmm. Whereas the stuff in the past is a little bit sort of, <laughs> you know, it's, it's pretty in, in your face yeah. and, and it's very aggressive. But, um, you know, I know when I was talking to you initially, we were sitting and having a uh, whiskey a couple oh, of whiskeys yeah. together, yeah. which turned into a, quite a few whiskeys. <laughs> uh, and we were talking about it. And I think I spoke to you about the concept of, you know, you got to take the shot. Mm. You got to, you know, you can aim. And I think mm. I, I had someone say to me one time, I was doing a business development role and I was trying to get out to the market and I was trying to break a new part of the market and, and build this sort of Greenfields desk in recruitment. And it was, you know, there was a lot of research done and I'd done all the research, but it was like, I just had to pick up the phone mm. and make the fucking call. Mm-hmm. And set the meeting up, yeah. and get the job, and fill the can- the job with a great candidate, and meet the candidates, and headhunt the people, and you know, and it's it's that 
all of the aiming, if you don't take the shot, you'll never, you'll never get it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how much research you do. Um, you just got to take that shot. Absolutely. You don't take the shot, shit ain't going to happen. So I want to, I want to go back a little bit to, um, I think you're late twenties, 27, yeah. 28. So yeah. you, during music, uh, the label broke up and yeah. you took a pretty, you took a pretty interesting transition in your career at that point, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I did. I, um, so I'd, I'd had, um, what I refer to now when I've gone for job interviews and they're like, so tell us a little bit about yourself, Jason. I was like, well, okay. I was born in 1979. No, um, so I talk about how I had a parallel career. Um, and I, I make a joke out of it. I say, you know, listen, I was a musician till the age of 28. I, I chased the elusive dream of becoming a professional musician and, uh, had the stark realization when I was about 28, <laughs> my music wasn't that good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and everyone has a bit of a laugh and a joke, um, at that. Um, but it was at that time, um, the group that I was in, you know, we'd signed the deal. Um, we had one of the guys living up in Queensland, um, with two of us down here in Adelaide, uh, sorry, I'm in Melbourne now, but back in Adelaide. Um, and it just, you know, for me, I, I'd lost the fire in the belly for it, my passion mm-hmm. for that group and the music and no, no, you know, disrespect to the two boys that I was working with, like, cause they're still good, good, you know, quality, um, musicians. Like they, they know what they're doing. They're good at what they do. But I think just at that time we'd been working together for a while mm-hmm. and we just, it just wasn't kind of working out for us. Um, and I left and I kind of lost my passion for it. And I kind of, I had this real kind of, you know, this is kind of going back and leaning into that whole sort of, you know, I felt like I failed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, you know, I had an opportunity and my mates were doing great things. You know, they'd, they'd, I think they'd just gone platinum. Um, you're seeing all these people around you doing amazing things. A group that I had started off being in, they were doing amazing things. I was thinking, man, you know, like, what, like why is this not happening to us? Mm-hmm. Just wasn't, wasn't meant to be, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I, I'd had a, I'd been working um, in a bunch of like account management and business development roles and I kind of, I'd owned my business. So I owned a business, you know, career business when I was like 23 and I learned some really great lessons from that. I've learned how to not run a business and I learned how to get into a lot of debt with the ATO. So, um, uh, and you know, that was, that was a really sort of stiff learning curve for me and I learned a lot from that. Um, but the next part for me was, you know, I had a couple of things going on and I kind of always did my job to support my music Mm-hmm. And um, and it was at the age of sort of twenty eight that I'd it shifted um, it shifted gears and I was working for a um, a telco um, as a corporate account manager and I'd um, been working with a, an account to try and bring him over to us um, from a major competitor and they had a very small little recruitment company in the south of Adelaide and. I'd just finished up working with another organization um, and I had a couple of bad runs with roles, right? Um, mm-hmm. I hadn't quite found what worked for me and what fit for me and I was still trying to, you know, and I was kind of in the mindset like I want to do music, but mm-hmm. um, that's not working out for me as well. And I kind of hit, you know, I was a bit bummed out and, uh, you know, I'd, I'd gone through a marriage breakup um, when I was 25, so I'd walked away from my business. I just had a, enough of that at 25 or 26 and... Um, yeah, so you know, it was just—it was a bit of a tough time, and um, I'd, I'd had this deal for this business I was working with, and it was about a hundred grand deal, and you know, and I was like well out of my depth to do something <laughs> like that. I had no fucking idea what I was doing, yeah. 
and you're sitting trying to negotiate and that fell through and at that point, you know, unfortunately I was made redundant. So I jumped into this business as a corporate account manager and this guy for the recruitment company, we, I landed the deal with him, ported him across, it wasn't that big a deal, but he just kind of said, have you ever thought about working in recruitment? And I've actually gone, yeah, I, I have actually. Mm-hmm. I, I could genuinely have actually thought about working in recruitment because I knew someone who knew somebody had done it and they'd be making a fair bit of money and, you know, you didn't sell widgets, you sold people. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, I could be a pimp. <laughs> um, <laughs> Legit pimp. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was like, so they were like, okay, you know, so him and I had a discussion and he offered me a job hmm. and that's where it started and that was back in 2008. So, you know, that's like a better part of a decade ago now and um, that kind of set me off my journey and it was at that point that I went, you know, what? I'm going to really give this a go. And I... And it was it was it just because you, you were coming out of this perceived failure around music? I think it was a little, yeah. You know, if I'm reflecting on it now, I, I think that... The music for me, like I was trying to do it and it just became a process mm. and it really went from, I got this real, I got this theory about things like you, everything's a craft, right? Mm-hmm. You need to learn the craft and then you need to master the craft and then it can become an art. Mm. So then you become an artist and I'd felt that I'd gone full circle with the music stuff that I'd gone from learning the craft, honing the craft, mastering the craft becoming an absolute artist and then I just lost my drive for it I just you know and I think it was all just because you know I got bummed out a bit I'd set my sights on making it I've seen some others make it just kind of thought you know well was me instead of kind of looking at what you know the root cause was um what do you think the root cause was I don't know I just uh, it's it's tough I I, it's a a tough game right like it's Mm -hmm. the music stuff is like you do it like the stuff I'm writing now it's 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 a passion project I'm writing because Mm. I love to create not because you got to pay the bills and get yeah. some revenue and... Yeah, and you don't make a lot of money from it. And yeah. then you kind of, you know, you see others doing it that you don't think are quite as good. But, you know, it's the hustle. Like, that's the thing. A person said to me back when I first started producing beats, um, said, it's 50% music and it's 50% business. Mm. And you're like, yeah, whatever, man. That's cool. You know, I'm going to just make amazing music and everyone around the world's going to listen to it. It's like, <laughs> fuck, you are stupid. Yeah. Right? Like, um, and, and it just, you know, it just didn't, didn't land. Um, and I think, you know, there's, a, there's some things, some lessons I needed to learn. And I'm a big believer too in things happening for a particular reason. Like I am mm. very pointed in what I'm looking to achieve. Um, but I do also believe there's a few lessons out there that, um, you know, you throw in a few curveballs so you can actually deal with it and learn from it. Mm-hmm. And I felt that that was one of them. So I got to my fork in the road and I really sort of thought, right, I'm going to give this corporate stuff a real go um, or am I going to try the music stuff? And I thought, you know, I haven't done the corporate stuff. I really love business. What I really loved about the music stuff was actually the business stuff. So doing, you know, setting up the music studio, educating myself, working with the artists that we had. So we ended up having about 10 people as a part of the, the crew mm-hmm. um, that had released records you know, whether they'd released through us or through others, but they always kind of like, you know, released it under the umbrella of CH projects. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's still going now. There's still groups still dropping stuff now and there's still people still doing it. So, you know, it's just cool. Created a legacy and they continue to, I stepped away from it, but you know, cause it wasn't for me anymore, but, um, you know, you get to that point where you just think, right, let's give it a go. So I did. And I, and I thought, right, I'm going to put as much energy as I put into this music stuff. I'm going to put into that. And the crazy thing was I started writing better music. Hmm. Um, Less of it, but mm-hmm. better because I didn't have the pressure on myself to, to have to make something of it. Mm-hmm. And I really kind of focused on the business stuff. And I worked for this company for a little bit. We had a contract with um, 
company called WorkSkill and uh, I then got pulled across by them so they had hunted me to join them. I joined them um, and I ended up meeting a really amazing um, person that became my mentor and my boss at the time, um, a person by the name of Willem who was a, a Dutch man and he took me under his wing and believed in me and it was mm. nice to have somebody say, you've got some talent, you got some potential, let me help you. Mm. Mm. Did he say what he saw in you? Was there anything particular? I don't know. He just, he, he, I guess he'd seen what I'd done with this little place. I didn't know what I was doing. I, I, you know, I kind of looked at recruitment as being a, and we dealt with like the hardest job (laughs) seekers. So if you think like, and I'm going to say this in the nicest way possible, but like employment services is, is tough going. So you don't get paid a lot. Mm -hmm. It's not professional services recruitment. Mm -hmm. It's blue collar unskilled recruitment and you're dealing with job seekers or candidates that um, potentially have been unemployed for 20 plus months, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my first placement was a, a guy named Robert and he'd been unemployed for 18 years. Wow. And I got him a part-time cleaning job, and which he lost because he couldn't pass the um, the police clearance. Jeez. Unfortunately. Yeah. But, you know, for him, but to see him actually get that job and then I worked with him on a bit of mindset stuff and we did some, and the guy that I worked with did a lot of neuro-linguistic programs mm. did some NLP stuff with um, these job seekers. So we'd have a cohort of about 30 people come through. We've run some seminars with them. I'd kind of sit in and listen to those. Um, I would talk to them about like my background mm-hmm. um, and we would go from, from there um, and then we would work on trying to get them in front of employers and, and just create some relationships for them um, and then get them jobs. And you know, you were dealing with some pretty tough folks, right? Um, and then I moved across to work school and I ended up leading a team that did that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, you know, gained a bit of a leap of faith, but Willem took a leap of faith in me and, uh, and then nominated me to be involved in a thing called the Young Business Leaders Program. Mm, yeah, can you tell us more of a bit about that? I think that's that's a very interesting point in your history, isn't it? Because again, yeah. coming back to your having finished high school, you've been doing music stuff on the side, obviously self-taught. Yeah. You know, string of string of you know jobs. Let's yeah. just call it jobs. It's not really you know, yeah. really going anywhere with it. Then all of a sudden to get into this and transition into this program. How did how did that program come about? It was. It's um, you nominated for it. So I remember there was a thing. So it was called the Young Business Leaders, um, well, the In Business Young Business Leaders Program. Mm-hmm. And in two thousand and nine, there was I'd, I'd seen something on television for it, and um, and my boss at the time, Willem, had seen something on TV as well, and we had our one on one catch up that we did on a weekly basis. And Willem had said to me, "So, um, what do you, what do you think?" of this and I thought yeah it sounds good I said do you think I could do it I said I've only really like been doing this job for a short period of time and you know I had the whole thing you know I didn't finish high school and I'd be going with a whole bunch of sort of young academics who you know because I think the whole thing was you know it was kind of around sort of under 30 Mm -hmm. um, or just around sort of the age of 30 and um, and he said no look give it a go because I think you'd be really great at it and I think it'd be great for us as an organisation as well so he nominated me for it we went through a selection process to get into it um and again, you know, I set a goal, or oh, I'm going to get into this program. What was the selection process? Do you remember? So the selection process was, um, one, you had to be nominated by your leader, mm-hmm. um, which William had done. Um, and then the second part of the process was, um, I had to go through an application. So there was an application that was filled, which was just kind of your yeah. <laughs> run-of-the-mill app. Um, and then there was a bit of an essay or something that had to be written from memory. Um, Do you so remember I put what it together. was? Um, it was just around why you think you would benefit from the program and what it was that you could bring to the program. Do you um, remember what you wrote? I, I think I just talked a whole heap of shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really sold it. Um, 
and then there was an interview and there was a two in, two step interview process um, so there was like a one on one phone interview and then they came in and they met with myself and with Willem um, and there was a woman who was a coordinator called Heather um, and then from there they selected people to be a part of it so we kicked off the cohort kicked off in it was May or June in 2009 and the program went for 10 months and it was an intensive 10 month leadership program that um, so you did a diploma of management through um, the Australian Institute of Management and then you worked on what they called a business improvement project mm -hmm. so that was taking an enterprise wide project and looking at what you could do within the business to improve it mm -hmm. and then you'd also do what they called community involvement projects um, so it was run by In Business Magazine which was like a, uh, a business magazine in South Australia um, and I'm not sure if it was like circulating nationally I'm not quite sure but um, and then there was also um, the Royal Society for the Blind mm. um, so the community involvement projects um, consisted of you running charity um, events or fundraisers um, and raising funds for the Royal Society for the Blind and creating awareness for the Royal Society for mm. the Blind um, you know and I, and I had quite a few people in my family are blind but we worked quite a lot with the Blind Welfare Association mm -hmm. my grandpa volunteered for them my auntie Vini's blind, my auntie Maisie's blind. Um, so, you know, for me, it was like it really kind of connected to So it was to close me. to your heart. Yeah. So it wasn't just something you were doing as part of this, yeah. you know, to get this, uh, to, you know, to go through this program. Yeah. It was something you were passionate. It was, yeah. Well. yeah. And I remember the, the first night they kicked it off and Mike Rand, who's the Premier of South Australia, was the, I don't know if you call him the patron or the, uh, he was like one of the key sort of figures of it. So he got up and he presented at um, Ayers House in Adelaide um, and there was a heap of people there and we all partnered up with a mentor and then we had this program to do and then you had a mentor within your business and, um, which mine was Willem. Um, and it just, it was just a really amazing experience. I thought, you know, here I am, I'm sitting here and I'm, <laughs> I've like seriously only started taking my actual career seriously, which I didn't even know was a career at that point. I thought it was just a stop through to doing something else. Mm. Um, and I'd actually not thought about recruitment or talent acquisition as being like a legitimate career. So I can make a bit of money and then leave. Um, and I was standing there with a whole bunch of like really accomplished young people and accomplished professionals um, about to kick off in probably 10 of the most amazing months I'd ever had. So how do you think it changed your mentality? And specifically, you mentioned before you were thinking, you know, it's for academic. I'm not really, you know, in yeah. high school. I'm just starting getting into it. How did your mentality change once you'd sort of gotten this external recognition that, hey, you know, against this field you've, you've done pretty good yeah yeah how did, how did your mentality change after that it was funny because there was a moment where we were doing um the community involvement stuff for me i was like i'm cool with this stuff right like i know how to hustle i know how to to be entrepreneurial um although i didn't know it was called being entrepreneurial <laughs> at that time and i i thought you know i can run music events because mm -hmm. i've done that before i know heaps of artists in the industry that are really well known so I can really leverage my relationships and that was like when I thought you know I can really like I'll be able to and you had to raise $4,000 that was the minimum you had to raise mm. um, and you had a $500 of seed funding so my goal was to not touch the seed funding mm -hmm. and to do everything through begging, borrowing or stealing I didn't steal <laughs> I, I'm proud to say I didn't steal anything but I did a lot of begging um, and I managed to get people that had you know, fortunately, my music stuff, I was sponsored by um, a company when I was doing music, a company called Iron Lake, which are like an amazing spray paint company. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the guys in my band, Mark, went on to be the global sales director for them. And, um, and he's got an amazing story too with regards to that. And 
you know, I leveraged all of those relationships. So I got sponsorship. I, you know, managed to get the Barossa Valley Estate to come and run like a corporate wine tasting mm. event. You know, and I got, it was just venues that I performed at gave me the venues for free. So I didn't have to do anything. It was just hustling and leveraging my network. And I realized, mm-hmm. you know, I love networking. I'm actually pretty good at it. And this is actually, it's a skill that I've got that <laughs> some others don't have. Because when I saw the struggle that some of my, like the, the, the fellow cohort um, mm. members were having just getting a venue mm-hmm. or having to pay $500 for a venue and all the seed funding was gone. gone. Yeah. Like I was just like, this is easy, right? Yeah. Um, and there was a moment when I, we, we, we did, um, every two weeks we'd do like a, a we'd have a group for about four months mm-hmm. um, for the first part of the program and you'd be doing, you know, there'd be a course in finance, there'd be a course on project management, there'd be a course on like, you know, leading um, effective teams and managing performance and there's all this sort of stuff around leadership and, um, how did you how did you go with that then? Because you even mentioned earlier you you know during school you yeah. were smart, but you just could be bothered. Yeah. How did you find? I didn't find it too them? hard, and mm-hmm. I found like the learning environment really good because it was it was engaging. Well, what did they do specifically? So Ian, Ian from Australian Institute of Management. So I can't remember Ian's name, but he was this older guy, and he was just a really engaging like um, facilitator, and he really brought you into the conversation, and I felt empowered to contribute. And it took me a couple of opportunities to, to try and feel like well, my contribution was validated. Mm. Um, but then I found that actually some of the stuff I'm saying, like people are agreeing with me and then they come to me afterwards and say, oh, right, have you done this before? What have you done here in these situations? I'm thinking, well, these people are asking me for advice and mm. I've actually not done any of this stuff before. And were you, were you pulling it out of just back to your, back to the record label that sort of experience? I don't or were these lessons or were these examples And at from? that time, like I never really spoke about that stuff because I, I wasn't, I still wasn't comfortable with talking about like my my past. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't talk about it a lot, but at some point I had to, cause I was like leveraging a lot of the music stuff yeah. to, to try and, you know, there's a theme in there community involvement projects. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I, I guess I, I find that I can, I connect with people well, I can talk to people and I, you know, I, I seem to understand people. Like I've got a pretty, I'm pretty empathetic and I, and I seem to be pretty in tune. I've got like good intuition. Um, and that's gotten better over time as I've refined it. But yeah, I just, I don't know. I just found it easy. People talk to me and they seem to talk, want to talk to me mm. um, and share things with me. And I love to share with others. Um, you know, I, I really try and instill through the teams that I lead now and I have in the past um, what I call a learn-share culture. So if you learn something, share it with somebody else because what it will do is allow you to share something with somebody else that's of value to them. Mm. But it will also allow you to think about what it was that you've just learned so you can then reconfirm that to yourself mm, and you can mm. commit that to memory. Yeah, absolutely. So it's an opportunity for you to give something back to somebody else when you've received something from another. Yeah. It's funny. I know when I was going through university, um, I was always a pretty, I was always a, I did okay. I did, I did all right at university. I wasn't the top, but I wasn't nearly the yeah. bottom. But I know that one of the biggest learnings for me was... Killing it, Dustin. I'm trying, man, <laughs> I'm trying. So, but it was when I was, I, I always remember when I thought I knew something, the real test would be when I had to explain it to somebody. And exactly. if I couldn't explain it simply, I very much found I didn't get it. Or on the flip side, I would realize a new aspect that maybe I hadn't before as well, yep. too, just talking out loud. So, um, yeah, anybody that, anybody that knows me well knows that if I'm trying to create something, I'll frequently just talk to myself because I'm yeah. just <laughs> creating it in my mind, so creating it out loud. So, but um, I, I'm a thing, I think out loud. I love to just think out loud. I love it when I can get into a room with a bunch of whiteboards and yes. some people with energy yeah. and just talk things through and spitball yeah. ideas. And I love like generating ideas and, and working in think tanks. And, you know, that, that that's something that really gets me going. Like if I want to get my, my 
blood going and my blood flowing. Like that's the kind of thing that gets mm. my create creativity going. And that's where you know I've kind of learned now within the business world and in the corporate environment is that um, uh, my creative flow can actually come out mm. um, because I'm given the freedom. And I'm really fortunate now. I've got a great leader who gives me the freedom and I, and I have in the past as well, the freedom and the opportunity to create, mm-hmm. design, deliver mm. and affect huge pieces of change and significant transformation, which is just really, for me, is super exciting. So. so I love that too that you said, because I've always had this idea in my mind where I've never viewed myself as a creative person mm. and uh, not to, not to shift blame away, but yeah. growing up, um, I was colorblind, so mm. coloring was always a bit of a... Like I can tell with the kind of clothes you wear, mate. So. Yeah, no, no, that's why <laughs> black, I tell you, it's, just, it's black and blue, mate, everything's black and blue, but I, uh, I remember growing up academically, I always did really, really well, but yeah. I, from a creative point of view, I never did very well, and even we were talking about, I used to, I used to drum, I was probably, yeah. I, I really enjoyed it, it was a great outlet for me, yeah. but... I, I knew and everybody knew around me that I wasn't going anywhere with it. I didn't really have a lot of creativity. I could take something I'd heard and slightly shift it. Mm. But for me, I never identified with creativity. But it's only as of in the last probably year or two that I've really learned to adopt that idea of creativity, not as creating music or creating art, but creating something that wasn't there in the beginning exactly. or seeing something that necessarily isn't, 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 easy to see. So using business as my creative principle, looking at systems and processes yeah. as my creative outlet. And it's been, it's been really transformative for me. And I've had to really come back to this idea that to shift away from yep. my set mentality of Dustin Elliott isn't creative, try to shift that away and, it is. And, and out of my mind. If you think, you know, it's the lens that you perceive yourself through or you perceive the world through, if you just simply shift that lens, it can shift. It can be a paradigm shift in the way that you perceive yourself or the way that you can actually deliver and do things. Mm. And I think that, you know, it, it's, we were talking a little bit before, before we um, started recording around um, entrepreneurship and entre- being entrepreneurial and what, what that is. And a lot of being an entrepreneur is around being creative. Now, does being creative mean that picture that's hanging up on the wall over there that's been painted, you're creative, but the person that designed that studio monitor in my music studio they're not creative because mm. they've done an engineering thing, mm. right? So it's something that's they've created the engineering, the electronics to provide like an amazing sound so you can mix your music. So another creative can use that. So everything comes down to design and design becomes creative and you can design your life, you can design a system, you can design a process, you can design a business, you can design your outfit, right? You can flex creativity however the fuck you want. Mm. And that's what I think like the beauty about creativity is that you make it what, what you want it to be. And I think mm-hmm. we're in this place and time right now where... Um, we've talked a lot about in the past, you know, when you're recruiting leaders, you're recruiting tomorrow's leaders, Mm. right? So you're recruiting future leaders. I think there's this shift that's happening right now is that tomorrow's leaders are leading today, Mm -hmm. right? And there's also this, this shift around what does entrepreneurship mean? So, you know, you're talking to entrepreneurs here and, and, and I think I'm pretty passionate about this point is that you don't have to be starting a business of your own or creating a startup to be considered to be an entrepreneur. Being an entrepreneur is a mindset. It's not an activity. And as an entrepreneur, you can step in and you can look at something and you can optimize it and make it better. Mm. Or you can go into a place that didn't have something before and you can gift them with something new Mm -hmm. that you, your mind, your creativity and your entrepreneurial spirit has done. You can do that in an organization of 35,000 people and you can do that sitting in your, your basement with your computer while you work out what your startup is Mm. and Mm. putting your shit onto Kickstarter and kicking that off. Yeah. 
does that make the person in the corporate world any less of an entrepreneur than the person that's created a product, sold it to the masses and got it funded through Kickstarter? Absolutely not. So it's the same mindset that will allow people to really go in, unpack what it is that they want to become and become that fucking person. Mm, absolutely. And I'm really happy you said that. And I know we've had a couple of conversations because yeah. what I want to get out of this podcast and many people that I've spoken to have really talked about um, this idea. I'm just going to uh, interview um, entrepreneurs from the true yeah. form of the word. And that, that never really sat well with me because that wasn't the vision. And it took me a while to realize after that yeah. exactly what you said, that, that I, I really want to understand this, the, the, the beliefs, the ideas, the, 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 the processes, the values, the resources that people use around them. Quite often it manifests itself in entrepreneurship, yeah. I think. Absolutely. People starting a business or people creating something in terms of yeah, a business or a product or a service. But yeah. I think this idea too that just because you don't want to go start a business doesn't mean you can't take these same principles from these entrepreneurs and use that exactly like you said in your yep. job you know work on a system and a process look at look at your job and treat it as if it was your company yeah um you know even my colleague was speaking the other day about a vision within a vision so yeah he might be an employee but he can still have a vision for what he wants to do Absolutely. under the vision of our business and, and what can he do and then how can as our the organization grows how can he instill that on his team and try to empower so he's, he's still an employee he you know he'd yeah. love to start a business one day but he's still trying to adopt those same principles into his work now and there's, there's no doubt i've already seen a shift in him in just what he does and how he does it and and uh, a completely different mindset which i think is allowing him to to unlock the things that he wants to do in terms of his success and his growth and the role absolutely and all those things that kind of come along with it so we're in this beautiful place right now where i mentioned to you just before was that right we talked about tomorrow's leaders tomorrow's leaders are leading today you go into organizations now. I, I just come from a, a, an organization that I was working with where I went and set up the recruitment function for them here in Australia. They never had anything like it before. And it was a total Greenfields build. Um, and what that required me to do, and my last sort of five years of my career have been working with large corporates to um, either build recruitment functions or be a part of assisting with the build. And I've been fortunate enough to lead um, one as well. I've also been a key contributor through to, to a number of them. I've relaunched models. I've looked at transforming certain things. The business I'm in now, we're, we're looking at transforming what it is that we're doing from a talent acquisition perspective and just, in, and just creating this amazing seamless experience for candidates mm. because our candidates are our customers and our customers are our candidates, right? So it's about creating this incredible experience for people so we can actually get them to have some sort of emotive attachment to what it is that we're doing and they really, really can connect with what we are as an organization. Mm. Um, and that stuff really excites me. It's, it's around allowing people, it's around making a difference in people's careers and, uh, and assisting them to reach their, their career goals, right? That's why I'm really passionate around what it is that I do now. But you're going into businesses, and I've, I've been a witness to this, um, is that we've got a changing of the guard when it comes to leadership. We then have a changing in approach to the way that we lead our people. And we're giving people the freedom to actually create and to mm. do things better. And there's this big shift. And I think the organizations that don't get on board with those types of approaches are the ones that will be left behind. And the ones that are going to give their people the freedom to do these things. So when you, you said that, you know, you've got the freedom to create. It's, like, it's freedom within a framework. Mm. So you've got your framework. These are your boundaries. But do whatever you can within those that are within, <laughs> within your risk mm. appetite. Yeah. <laughs> and that's also um, within what the, the code of conduct is, for instance, mm. right? So yeah. it's all about ethical business and doing the right thing. But I think, you know, there's some exciting times ahead. I think there's some really amazing things that are going to happen, in particular in the recruitment industry um, and in talent acquisition. There's, there's some incredible things that are about to start mm. kicking off and there's some amazing things that are starting to happen because it's a mature industry. Mm -hmm. 
but it's an unregulated industry. And whether you're internal or you're external, um, there, there's going to be some big changes. Technology is really getting us to a point where we can start to really shift um, and push the needle on a whole bunch of different things that we do. Um, automation will allow us to free up time to create better experiences for people and mm. to really connect with people. Now, I want to take this idea back a little bit because mm. I think we've, we've talked about the entrepreneurship now, but for, for people listening, curious about how they foster it or maybe more around your journey around yeah. this, where, obviously, going back to, you, you get this, I think it was third place in the South Australia um, Business Award? Was that, was oh, no, no, so it was, um, so the Young Business Leaders at the young end business of the, leaders, yeah, yeah, so the Young Business Leaders program at the end of the, the program, um, I was awarded as one of the 20 finalists. Right. So I got to the end of the program, got a nice award and a handshake from the Premier of South <laughs> Australia, Mike Rand, and it was really interesting. Like, For a guy that didn't graduate high yeah, school again. Yeah, high school, and he's probably shaking hand going, who's this bald idiot? Um, <laughs> and it was just, it was really cool, you know, it was just this like really great opportunity, and um, it was shortly after that is when I had the tattoo story, with the dodgy tattoos. <laughs> So. so then, so then, so you, so you get this uh, handshake from the premier. Yeah, you, you obviously a real ideology shift around yourself. Yeah, what, what was sort of that next transition in terms so, of a, a professional career? Yeah, it was funny because so I stepped out of you know I got to do some really great things when I worked with WorkSkill. It was a non for profit. Um, you know, as Ken, who who was a CEO at the time, um, and I was fortunate enough for him to be my mentor as well. And um, he used to say we're not. He goes, we're a not-for-profit, but we're not a not-for-loss. <laughs> Something like that, I can't remember. Yeah, I love so it. He's not, he goes, we're a not-for-profit, but we're not a for-loss company, okay? And you'd be like, okay, cool, I get it. <laughs> um, so, you know, he kind of brought a commercial sort of acumen through to, to that space. But, um, yeah, so look, you know, going back to the story I told about with the tattoo thing before, I've worked for them. I ended up stepping away from the business, um, and I stepped into my first um, professional services recruitment role. So, um, and that was with a, uh, a large um, organization, um, recruitment organization in Adelaide. And I joined that business and, um, took on the mining desk. Um, so it was mining and resources, um, in a time in Adelaide when it was going gangbusters, mm -hmm. the West had kicked off. Um, you know, we'd, we'd come out of the GFC, things were starting to get a little bit better and, and things were looking positive. Mm -hmm. Um, and just went in and just gave it a, a really good go. I didn't know nothing about mining, right? Mm -hmm. And then I realized, oh, hang on a second, like I studied audio engineering and I'm recruiting engineers and similar engineering principles and I can have conversations with these people. Mm. And I just put my head down on my ass up and just got right into it. Um, I researched the fuck out of mining, right? And mm -hmm. learned everything I could about geology, mining engineering and what it took to do underground mining and, and um, open cut mining and became a specialist in, in recruiting yeah. engineers and geologists within mining. So. so I know one of the things we talked about before is that you, one of your traits was to really analyze really yeah. really analyze. yeah i'm a super analytical person but it's kind of debilitated me at times yeah too. so when you were when you were taking this desk where were you in terms of that spectrum from where you are now where you take more shots but back yeah. then you were a little more analytical. where were you on that spectrum during that part of your journey yeah it was yeah it, look that was really it was tough because it was business development and if you weren't billing, you weren't getting paid your bonuses. Yeah. And if you weren't billing, you wouldn't have a job, right? Yeah. Like you're not, they're not just going to pay you a, a, you know, a base salary to just sit in the office and make wise cracks at people. Mm -hmm. Like I'm a funny dude. <laughs> Fuck, they're not going to pay me that amount of money to just be funny. <laughs> not, 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 not a professional yes, comedian. Yes, this is, yeah, the, here's Mark. He's one of our top billers. Here's Phil. He's a top biller. Here's Jason. He's our clown. <laughs> you know, I can absolutely be the jester, but. It's um, 
I, I had a really, again, another person that was really influential for me was that I had a mentor and uh, his name is Gary. Gary's an awesome guy, right? Like, we, we hit it off. Um, he was a Liverpool supporter. I follow Liverpool, <laughs> you know. And it was just this really cool kind of relationship. And he's a seasoned recruiter and he'd been doing it for years and he led big teams and he was just a really good consultant and he knew he knew his shit. Mm. And he just gave me some really good pieces of advice and he, just one of the things he said to me was like, no surprises. No one likes surprises in recruitment. Mm. He goes, as a matter of fact, not many people like surprises. He goes, you'll find out, Jace. He goes, yeah. even when you give people more money, sometimes I don't like that as a surprise. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no way, Gary. Like, people love more money. He's like, all right, I could be wrong. People do love more money. But what <laughs> it is, like, he goes, no surprises. And that's become like for me, it's like, ask, make sure you ask enough questions so you get a really good understanding of what the lay of the land is so you don't have any surprises. Because surprises when you're going through dealing with someone's career and you're dealing with, you know, how they make a living mm. is really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're going to go for more money, that's a good surprise. But I can tell you 99% of the time, a surprise isn't good when you're going through a process like that. And now I'm leading teams of people that are doing those things is probably one of the key pieces of advice I give them is make sure you're asking questions. Mm. Even if they seem stupid, just ask the question. You know, and for me, it was like having him, having a couple of really good people around me. It was a good, good work environment. Um, and having people keeping me accountable for pulling the trigger mm-hmm. um, was what made a difference because I know one, I just, my first quarter was really difficult and I didn't quite know what I was doing and I, I didn't feel like I had the, the smarts to get up in front of a general manager of a mining company mm-hmm. and, and, and pitch to them about why they should use me mm-hmm. who knew nothing about mm-hmm. mining compared to, to the guy next door who'd been doing it for 10 years but somehow I managed to get some really good relationships and then you realise that relationships are the key mm-hmm. and you focus on building the relationships and you network when you don't need to be networking mm-hmm. so network before you need to network yep. it's all going to come together yeah. I think it's just a general principle of life it is do yep. something before you actually need it whether Absolutely. it be learning a skill yep. meeting people bettering yourself improving on something everything mm. everything Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's about front end loading, doing as much as you can before it needs to be done. It's also, you know, I live by some pretty simple principles now. Um, and, you know, and I was really fortunate to spend some time working for BP. Great organization. Um, you know, I'll, I'll name them because they have a fantastic organization. Mm. Like, um, and I still got quite a lot of close friends who work there. And we set up the recruitment function with them and, um, back in 2013. And that was an amazing experience. And, uh, one of the key things there, there's some really great leadership in there. And when the price of oil turned, um, and I think it was sitting around sort of $110 a barrel and it went down to sort of $54 a barrel or something along those lines, there was this real approach to what we would call ruthless prioritization mm-hmm. and simplification. And for me, th- th- that's how I work. Mm-hmm. You know, what is it that I need to be doing that's adding value? And if it's not adding value and it's not helping us to achieve our strategic objectives, then why the fuck are we doing it? Mm-hmm. And how can we simplify things? Because we all seem to overcomplicate things. And I think probably when you talk about some of the learnings I've had in my career is I take more shots now. So I still analyze things, mm-hmm. but I also understand that it doesn't have to be perfect. It can be gold, it can be silver, it can be bronze. But sometimes something is better than not doing it at all. Mm-hmm. I don't fear making mistakes as often now, so I don't fear failure as much because 
I've shifted what the lens is that I look at failure with yeah. and I look at it a little bit differently now. And just on that too, yeah. I know we've had a brief conversation, but I can't remember. You've, uh, you've got some really good resources. I think you, we've had discussions about um, around that sort of helped and fortified that learning. I can't remember. I think it was Angela Duckworth was one of them. I think. Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah, um, absolutely. Do you have any other resources that you can think you can draw yeah. back to or listeners can? So I think this right here is probably yeah. one of the most fundamental skills anybody can do. Yeah, absolutely. Learn, but how can they go about sort of developing that? Or so I, I listened. Um, I'm, I'm, I read broad, but not deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and But when I do read deep, um, I, I listen to a lot of audio books. It's just, I, I just find that I... I take on and retain the information a lot better. You get any recommendations um, around? Some yeah, I do. Absolutely. So there's um, The Power of Vulnerability by Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. I think it's an absolutely amazing book. And if you want to then partner that with another book that it was a game changer for me, it's Angela Duckworth and it's, the book's called Grit. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you just want to watch a bite-sized chunk of learning about what Grit is about, then jump on the TED Talks and watch her discussion about Grit and jump on um, and watch Brene Brown talk about vulnerability. Um, and Brene's also got a book called Daring Greatly, and I just think you know there are two 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 books that I had um, read last year or listened to last year that were game changers for me and really shifted the way that I view the world. Mm-hmm. So then, going back a little bit, I know one one of the things that we spoke about the other mm. day in preparation for this interview that I think is is tremendously valuable mm. is that you you don't have a tremendous amount of, of formal skills training essentially it's yeah. been that that 70 20 70 yeah. 20 10 I think. yeah yeah um and obviously that 70 on the job training we've been talking about just having a red hot go and obviously reframing reframing failure has been really pivotal but yeah can you maybe take us back a little bit just to talk about how you've sort of gone on that journey from that over analysis not pulling the trigger yeah and um you know just having a go and obviously from that then cascading into a lot of skills that allow you now to work at a, yeah. you know, quite a, quite a senior level at, at a, at an organization leading some pretty big projects. I mean, how did you, yeah. how did you, how did you bridge that gap? It's, um, it, look, it's for me, it's, it's crazy, right? Cause it's like, it's the thing you want to learn these things really quick. And I, I like to do things fast. Um, and I like to learn quickly and I want to get into things really quick, you know, and again, it's been like, it could be to my detriment for certain, certain things in my life, um, whether personal or professional. Um, but probably one thing is, and as I've become more mature in my career and more mature as a, in this whole thing we call adulting, which I'm not very good at adulting. <laughs> still so learning to, don't worry. Still learning to adult. <laughs> um, I find that it, being patient, I'm, I'm not a very patient person and mm. I don't relax well and, you know, and I'm working really hard on those things. So there's some couple of learnings for me this year is, you know, giving myself more time to just be me and, uh, and spending and what, more time what, on my own. What does that actually look like then for you? What do you do? Um, you know, like having time where I would, you know, what I would call white noise and I can't remember where I heard this, but it was just this concept of just taking some time to just like walk and maybe not do a lot of thinking, but just kind of let life be. Do you have a meditative practice at all? Yeah, I do. So I practice um, mindfulness pretty regularly. Any particular um, uh, headspace or calm or anything nah, like that? Um, or a smiling mind. Smiling mind, yeah. yeah. So Second I've time that. I've heard that one. Yeah, really, smiling yeah. mind's great. And I, you know, really fortunate again at BP, we had a smiling mind corporate course that we did and that was really fantastic. Is that when you um, first got onto it then? No, there was a woman um, that I now work with now and I worked with um, at BP and Nina had um, um, put us or had mentioned the smiling mind. It was at that point I jumped onto it and it's just a fantastic app. 
it's really easy to, to do. It doesn't take a long time and you just, it's something I pr- practice probably three or four times a week. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I do is I practice gratefulness mm-hmm. every day. And in what particular way do you practice gratefulness? Um, I use it in two ways. So I find, I, I, I deal with stress really well. Um, there's probably two types of stress I don't deal with well. So when things are cluttered and disorganized, like, <laughs> does my head in. So yeah. moving into this place a couple of weeks ago, it's killed me. Yeah. Um, but I'm organized now, which is a good thing. Um, but generally, like you can throw a fair bit at me and I can take it on yeah. board. But I find that when I um, start to feel a little stressed, I take a moment to reflect and um, remind myself of what I'm grateful mm, for. Mm. Um, and it might just simply be at that time, you know, I feel grateful for being in this role. I feel grateful for um, having the willpower to, to train every morning. I, um, you know, And then in the morning after I train, so I train every morning. I wake at 4.45 each morning. Um, I have a really kind of set morning routine which sets me up for success for the day. So I get up at 4.45, um, I go grab a coffee, I go to the gym, I train, I train with a really great group of people. So, you know, shout outs to RBT South. <laughs> great crew down there and it's a really good community. And um, I, I train there, uh, I, I get to spend some time with some really good buddies. Um, and then I go off, I grab another coffee, <laughs> I drink a lot of coffee. Um, I come home, I'll either cook myself some breakfast and make some breakfast and then I set myself up for success for the day. And it's around that time when I'm either having a shower or I'm, I'm reflecting, um, on the tram ride home from the gym that I, um, I, I practice gratefulness. And it's like mm. at that point where I just, I really feel super positive about what I have, what I've become and where I'm going. I want to transition here because this is more something I've been playing around with a lot. Mm. So I've got, um, as many of my listeners will know, and they'll probably get super bored of hearing, I'm a yep. big Tim Ferriss fan. Mm. So in, in uh, um, as mighty old Lord Tim Ferriss has suggested sort of the same thing, and yep. I've actually got the five-minute journal as well too, and I'm yeah. practicing this at the moment. I love it, but where I'm focusing now is a lot on goal setting yeah. and, and having a little thought on this. I want to go somewhere with this uh, question coming in a minute, but one of the things I've noticed is is obviously as humans we have hedonic adaptations. So yeah. we, we, we grow and we become very much um, immune to our surroundings. Yeah. So you get a bigger house and that becomes the standard and yep. you, you make more money and pretty quick you're still broke and you get a better car and it's still not good enough yeah. and uh, so on and so on and so forth. And I very much... I'm reading a book or listening to a book at the moment called The Code of an Extraordinary Mind. Yes. And he actually... You mentioned and, it before. It's, it yeah, sounds good. It's, it's phenomenal. I'm loving it. It's, it's blowing my mind a little bit. Um, <laughs> but one of the things he, he really focuses on is around goal setting where there's means goals and ends goals. Yeah. So typically when we set goals now, they're I want to make a million dollars or I want to get that job or I want to yeah. get that house. And the, the problem is, is that we, we fight and we fight and we fight for it and we achieve and we get a dopamine hit and that's, you know, we get to pat ourselves mm. on the back, but it doesn't take very long before we acclimatize to it and we set another goal and we just continuously grind away at this yes. and it doesn't go anywhere. So he focuses on, and this is where I'm going through a bit of a, a bit of a journey in my own thinking about creating, um, still having those means goals. Still, yep. still I want to achieve certain things with my career and with this yep. podcast and nothing like something like that. But also creating angles where they're more situated around things that I can achieve now today. Yes. So he talks about being surrounded by love, not yep. not about demanding love from his wife or his wife always loving him yep. or his children loving him or his friends loving him, but trying to be surrounded by love and then those goals of obviously contact with family. Yeah. Um, how do you view goal setting? Yeah. Goal setting for me is a really crucial part of my life. 
Um, I might just go and just take a moment just to talk about the way I like to be led. I've been fortunate to have some fantastic leaders in my time and some really amazing mentors. Um, You know, my most recent mentor, um, Michael, is is such a fantastic influence um, for me and he is from the legal fraternity. Um, He's an executive in that space and he's just a a really, really amazing person. And, um, you know, we talked a lot about goal setting and holding yourself accountable and I, and it makes me, and I, you know, I've had some leaders that haven't been so great, um, which allows you to also learn, you know, what you respond Mm. best to, but there's probably three things I need from a leader. And I try and, uh, I try and give this to to the people that I lead as well as I want to have somebody to hold me accountable, Mm -hmm. someone to challenge me and someone to develop me. And they're like three things. Um, and I think are crucial and the big piece around that there is that to be challenged, you need to be able to set yourself goals. You need to stretch yourself. You need to push yourself to the edge of capability so you continue to, to, to grow and to achieve. So if you just kind of sit where you need to be, mm-hmm. you're not going to grow. You're not going to push yourself. So that's one part of it. And I think you know being realistic around what type of goals that you're setting is really going to benefit you there. So setting goals for me has been a crucial part of my, my success, I think. Having a mentor has been a crucial part of my success as someone to actually hold me accountable for those goals and being able to share them with others. Um, you know, for me, I, I like what you were talking about before and it's something I very much do is I've got long game goals and I've got short game goals. And I also found that I was a, a real victim of getting so close to achieving my goal that before I'd even actually got there, I hadn't celebrated the success and mm. I'd already shifted the goalposts to the next goal. Mm. So I was constantly just moving and I never took an opportunity to actually stop, turn around, reflect, and move through the performance feedback revision loop. Mm. Mm. How did I achieve this? What was it that went really well? What was it that I learned the most from this? And then taking off uh, just a moment to just reflect and actually celebrate your success. So if that's a fitness goal and you've hit your percentage body fat um, goal or you've Drop some weight, or you've, you know, hit hit your deadlift um, one max you know, one rep max that you're wanting to hit, which I hit mine the other week, and that was something I've been working towards, and mm-hmm. I got it earlier. But actually, just taking an opportunity just to sit and reflect and actually celebrate that success and enjoy it, mm-hmm. like really enjoy it, taste it, feel it, be a part of it, then reset your goals. Now, how do you? Now I know behind it, we're going to actually need a picture of the board behind us that has goals, <laughs> but how do you, is that, so just for, for listeners, uh, Jason yeah. in this house, he's actually got a brown, brown piece of paper with, with, uh, uh, goals on it, but is, do you have other means or different ways that you document these um, goals and you go through that process? Yeah. It's, it's, for me, it's a lot of, it's a lot about thinking. So I've got some, um, personal goals that I keep, um, within. So from a fitness perspective, I, I track a lot of what it is that I'm doing and I work with my coach around the what I want to achieve. And how do you track that stuff? Um, app or? Yeah, it's just through a spreadsheet at the moment. I use an app, MyFitnessPal, to track like my nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I find that I'm a very, I'm a data person, right? Like yeah. I love data. So I'm very much a person who, um, if you can't measure it, mm. right? So it if, you can't, if you can't track it, you can't measure it yeah. and then you can't say yeah. whether it's successful or not. So there's some things that don't quite lend itself to <laughs> to being able to be tracked. So, you know, my goals at the moment, I really took a conscious effort this year to just kind of, rather than really sort of focusing on a particular thing, like an actual deliverable, um, it was more, what's my mindset for the year? Mm. You know, mm. so like for me, it's, you know, I want to be creative at life and work. Like I want that to be like the flavor of what it is I'm trying to do. I want to be more creative. Um, I want to create a great, great relationship with myself. Like I want to walk away from this year and I want to turn around at the end of the year when I take an opportunity to reflect on my, my year's worth of goals 
and say, I really love who I am right now. Um, I feel really proud of what I've achieved and I like me. Right, and that sounds a bit wanky, but if you think about a lot of people when they're prioritizing what it is that their life's about, most people will have the same, the same priorities. I could tell you probably 90% of people have the same priorities. It's mm. going to be career, mm. family, mm-hmm. friends, health, yeah. wealth, right? Those types of things. Um, but it's how we stack those priorities and how mm-hmm. we order those priorities is what really makes a difference. And you, what you find is a lot of people will put things like career first. People will put things like family first, put friends first. There's a lot of people that don't put themselves first. Mm. And the way that I look at it is if you were to look at it as a, a tiered approach. So if you've got, number one, you've got your career first, you've got somebody else first, you've got something else first and you're sitting underneath it. If you're not strong enough to hold on to that, then you'll be crushed by the weight of all of those. So how are you meant to be supporting all of these other goals if you're not able to be the number one priority in your life? I mm. like how do you become the rock for your family and your friends if you're not being the rock for you? Mm. Mm. Right? Like if you're if you're to turn if you're not taking care of yourself and you were to flip those goals up on its head and you were to sitting underneath it, how do you become the foundation that supports all of those? Because if you're not strong and all of those goals are sitting on top of you, or all of those priorities are sitting on top of you, then you'll be crushed if you're, yeah. a, you're a shaky foundation. So you've got you to take care of yourself first and to make sure that then and that can roll into other things in your life. There's a, there's a great quote, and I'm going to get it all completely wrong, mm. but I think it's by Abraham Lincoln, and it's, if I, if I need to cut down a tree, mm. um, I'm going to, and I've got four hours, I'm going to spend the first three hours sharpening the blade, yeah. and then the last hour cutting it down. And I've, I've noticed over my professional career there are people who are busy, yep. but they're not effective. They have a dull axe, mm. and they're, they're swinging, and then they're sweating, yep. and they're stressing. And then there's people, and I'm, I think what you said is, is what I'm discovering is that the people that seem to be very, very effective, yeah. disproportionately effect, effective, disproportionately happy and disproportionately relaxed yeah. are those people that have switched upside down. So they're focusing on them. They're making sure that they're getting enough rest, that they're yeah. focusing on themselves. They're physically exercising. They're focusing on relationships. They're focusing on their mental, yeah. their mentality. And then that allows them to then go back out and actually achieve and succeed yeah. and not get burnt out absolutely as and as tired and you need to you know another thing about goals as well is i don't i don't think people bask in the glory of achieving a goal mm. and you know when i said that, it's about celebrating success but reward yourself for doing it i think that's just the a-type personality as well too I but think. it's just rewarding yeah. yourself for doing it like my auntie um so and and <laughs> this is really cool advice right like you know and not everyone's got it but i mean it's like you know she says there's three things you need to be happy you need somebody to love someone to love you and something to look forward to. Mm. And I really love the last one. I think it's, you need something to look forward to. So if you're working towards a goal, whether it be a personal goal or a professional goal. So right now I'm working across a program of work, which is a big piece of transformation, but it's around kind of setting up an amazing foundation for us to create this, this fantastic experience for people that are joining our organization to go through, right? And there's this program of work that we're working across. So, you know, when we get to the end of that, we're going to take an opportunity to actually sit, reflect and think about, you know, what is it that we've done and how do we celebrate the success? In the personal sense, I'm working towards a goal right now, and at the end of that, I'm going to go and reward myself with a holiday. 
right? So there's, there's things like this, but if you've got something to look forward to and you're really, really passionate about looking forward to it, you know, it's, it is all about the journey, right? Mm. But mm. sometimes, you know, you've got to enjoy the destination when you get there. Because mm. we don't sit on the plane to get to the destination and go, you know, I really fucking enjoyed that plane ride. I sat, <laughs> I sat in economy for 24 hours and I really enjoyed that shit. Yeah. And I don't really care I'm sitting on a beach in Mexico right now because I really liked my shitty plane for Yeah. Yeah. And fucking having to take a piss on the floor with someone pissed on the floor, right? So like, <laughs> all that crap, right? It's um, you know, you talk about that. So yeah, sure, it's about the journey, and it's about getting there, and it's about what you learn along the way. But it's also, I think, you know, people people stay motivated when they have something to look forward to. Mm. You know, you got to think like great leaders. If you were to think Dustin about the best leader you've had, right? And you think about why they were the best leader you had, and it might take you a moment to ponder that, and it's you might not come up with the answer right away, but. For me, you know, people connect to a vision. Mm. And visionary leaders are fantastic. You know why they're fantastic? Because they can share something that you can look forward to. You can see where they're leading you to. Mm-hmm. And you can really connect to it and you can connect to that purpose. People want to connect to a purpose. People wanting to do people want to do meaningful work and connect to something. Right? They don't want to be something, they want to connect to something. Mm. And if you can connect to that and you can see it and you can believe in that and you've got something to look forward to, that's half the battle one. Yeah. I think as well too, and where I've I focused on is is just a personal vision for myself as well, yeah. and it's more becoming about my personal vision, what change I want to bring to the world, and yeah. it's been it's been an incredible filter for looking at relationships, for looking at how mm. I view myself and my activities, and how I measure myself against. And when we're speaking, when I'm speaking with people, even through this podcast, it's been incredible that without even telling people what I'm doing just by articulating my personal vision for it. Mm. We're not talking a, a grandiose business. We're just talking yeah. about me in this podcast. Yeah. It's been incredible the reception I've I received and, and how much help and support and love I've gotten um, from yeah. such a, 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 you know, a, a three, three sentences, essentially. Yeah. Incredible. It's amazing. Like People want to help others. Like I think it's just... We, you know, go back, going back to what I said earlier, it's, we... If you don't ask, you don't get. Mm, mm. It's a really simple concept. It's, you know, but people are afraid to ask. And that might be, you know, it's the, how do you ask and what is it you're asking for? And people think about, you know, how they position it. And there's, you know, Jesus, you look at my bookshelf there. I've got books from, fuck, I'm looking at one right now called Cold Calling Techniques. You know, how do you call up and make a cold call? You pick the fucking phone up and you Mm. call the person and you talk to them, right? Like, I don't need to read a book about how to do that. (laughs) So, it's, but that dude sold, whatever his, Steve Shipman or whatever his name is, like, he sold many, many books about those things. And, you know, it's just about being able to ask for what it is that you want. You just got to be clear on what what you want Mm. and, and, you know, and people are willing to help. You know, you're asking people to talk about themselves. People love to talk about themselves, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But you just got to ask. And if you don't ask, people won't talk about themselves. Mm, you know? Absolutely. It's, it's nice to, you know, stroke someone's ego. Yeah. Probably what's happening right now with mine. So, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love to use this point of transition. So, we've, I think we've had a phenomenal conversation, obviously, yes. about all the things you've yes, done, where you've come from. But I, I'm really curious. So, we have Jason at this point. Yeah. You've gone through... I think from all we've discussed today and things we've discussed before, you've gone through a bit of a, um, not necessarily traumatic, but, you know, a real rebirth, a real refocus. Yeah. Sort of this is Jason 4.0, essentially. <laughs> where, where, is, where is Jason going in the future? What do you want to achieve or where are you headed? Or, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not sure where you want to answer that. I'm, um, like, like you mentioned before, like I, I really love goals. This year for me is, um, you know, I've gone through a few... Um, personal things of, of late and uh, without going into too much detail and they've been pretty challenging but it's it's really meant that I've had to shift 
my view of the world um, and my own outlook of myself and what I'm about um, over the last sort of six, uh, nine, six to nine months. You know, so for, the, for me this year, it's, you know, for the next year, it's about some holistic goals that I've got about myself um, and about being really comfortable with who I am. It's about being more creative, um, so whether that's at work or, or through my profession, uh, my personal life, so writing some more music and just getting in touch with who I am and, and creating time for me, yeah. creating time to not necessarily think, but just to connect with me, um, so therefore I can connect with others better. Um, so, so it's a little sort of inward looking as opposed to all the outward looking stuff I've done in the past. We're taking it beyond that. Um, I'm really passionate about what I do for a living. I work in talent acquisition. I feel absolutely, um, I feel extremely fortunate to be able to lead a really great group of people to work for a fantastic organization to be afforded the opportunities to be given the freedom to affect quite large pieces of change and to be seen as a a thought leader or, a, you know, maybe not a thought leader, but maybe sort of, you know, a professional of the industry who can actually add some value. And I think that's really, really for me, that's a real kind of driving force for me that just, I just want to be better at doing that. But I, for me, I would love to scale up what it is that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to move into, uh, again, a more senior sort of role. But, you know, ultimately my, my goal is to, to lead a global team. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I'm working towards. I'm really working, you know, pretty strongly towards that. I'm, I'm not afraid to say that out loud. My, my manager knows what my aspirations are. My other managers have known what they are. Um, it's going to take me a little bit of time. Um, I love transformation. I love getting in and, and fixing things or optimizing things. I love to watch people grow and develop. Um, and I'm really looking forward to sort of the next 10 years to, to stepping into that opportunity to, to lead a, a business at a global level and really get a great understanding of what cultural differences can um can mean for us in this this world that we have, which is becoming a much smaller place due to technology. Mm. I think two things as well too. One thing I've observed about you as you've gone through this personal journey without obviously speaking about it yeah. is you, I've watched you lean into it. Yeah. Which is really interesting given, given the nature of them. I think a lot of people would lean away from, mm. from, from the emotional, not, Discomfort. Let's not call it pain. Let's just call it emotional yeah. discomfort. And one thing I've really respected about your journey, and, and after knowing you and getting to get to know you, I think is a tremendously rare skill set where you do lean into the discomfort. Yeah. You do. Uh, you, you have a phenomenal way, I think, of really Thank sifting you. through it, sitting yeah. with sitting with that discomfort, sitting with yourself, what you've done, all the things around you, and I think distilling some amazing lessons out of that as well too. And that's something I know myself. Um, there was a Josh Waitzkin podcast with Tim mm. Ferriss and he talks about leaning in to situations. Yep. And I remember when I was, um, my early career in Australia was business development. Yeah. And it's, it's tough geek, man. It scared the crap out of me. Yeah. It scared the crap out of me. But I found through meditation and I, I was becoming more aware of when I was, leaning away from discomfort yeah. and business development cold calling was one of that and yeah. it, it became a really a big thing in my life and I, I still I'm still learning I think I'm still very infantile in this but yeah. to lean into this discomfort my initial gut reaction is to lean away and try to get away from the pain and yeah. try to deflect it but to pause to recognize that I'm leaning away from it and to lean in as yes. much as possible and that's been something where I think yourself I think I look to you and I think well, if I could if I could do it a tenth of how you how well, well you. you do it 
it'd be phenomenal and somebody I really aspire to to have that ability and um, yeah thank you yeah Let's go. I mean look at you know and I, I gotta say like it, the Brene Brown um, power of vulnerability was a, like an absolute game changer for me I I listened to that and and she talks about leaning in and it's you know and it's, you can flip it a couple of different ways but effectively what it is um, is and she she kind of framed it up in being asked to do something mm. you necessarily didn't want to do so you do you lean into the discomfort and say no I'm not going to be doing that or do you say yes and then resent that person mm. for doing it who are you being true to because you're going to end up doing something that you don't want to do you might not necessarily have the the time to do plus you resent the person that could be someone who's close to you for doing it for them when you could have simply respected yourself and respected them and said no um, and I had to have I had a really amazing learning with a great and look I've had some really great leaders and and uh, Scott, who is a good friend of mine now, and I've got another friend, Adam, and they're both like really sort of amazing people that have taken their time to coach and mentor me. Um, but Scott was my, my leader in one of the organizations I worked in, and he talked a lot about you know, the whole fact that I had this real want to be liked, um, where my absolute shift, and it's probably one of my key learnings in my career, is that the fact is you know, I'd rather be respected than liked. Mm. Um, and being respected sometimes means you have to lean in and make some tough calls. Um, and it was a couple of experiences that really um, didn't land well for me that allowed me to learn that hard lesson. Um, but without having learned that hard lesson, I would never have learned it. You just can't, you need, you need to actually go through it. Um, you know, so the leaning in piece can be flipped on its head to, to everything that you're doing. You know, lean into the tough call, lean into the tough decision, lean into the conversation, but feel what you need to feel. Because if you don't feel it, you, know, you can't move on. Yeah. So, Jason, just keep an eye on the time here, obviously. It's been an amazing discussion thus far. I think there's been Thank so you. much out of it. I mean, uh, I mean, our talk about entrepreneurship, I think, obviously, the mentorship was really, really important. That, yeah. uh, I want to transition now into our, our last segment around the rapid-fire questions. Sure, Are you ready sure. to go? Absolutely. Let's do it. Fantastic. Do it. Fantastic. So, even though these questions are, are rapid-fire, taking off the uh, my, my idol Tim Ferriss, <laughs> your, your answer can be long, short, whatever it is, anything like that. So, right. we'll just we'll riff with it and see where we go. Knowing me, Dustin. And it will be long and and <laughs> very painful. <laughs> so bring it on! I love it. I love it. So the first question here is: um, what what book has most changed your life? And I'd love if you could uh, tell us um, where in your life you read it, in what context did it change everything? The book that changed my life when I was about twelve years old, and it was called Penthouse. Um, no, I'm joking, Russ. <laughs> um, <no>, sorry. <laughs> um, so the book that, and I mentioned it a couple of times, there's probably two books um, that I've read in recent times that have essentially been like game changers for me. Um, number one was, it, look, and it wasn't even a book, it was like a presentation. So it was Brene Brown, The Power of Vulnerability. Mm -hmm. um, Is that the TED Talk, you mean in terms of the presentation? Or no, it's, so it's a, it's, I think there was a book too, but it's, it's on Audible, um, if anyone wants to check it out. It's called The Power of Vulnerability. Mm -hmm. um, it's a really amazing um, I think it's like a session she ran that she recorded, but it's, it's um, based off a book um, of hers. And then there's um, Angela Duckworth, Grit. And I think for me, Brene Brown's um, book taught me about vulnerability and how to lean in. And where were you when you, when you read this book at what um, point in your life? You know, I was in a place where I was kind of, I, I was on a journey in my career um, I, I'd, I'd begun to shift into from this 
transformative um, piece of work that I'd done across the enterprise or across the organization here in Australia um, to what would be considered BAU and I was starting to think, okay, what's my next move? Um, whether for this organization, and I had this really sort of stark moment um, of reality which eventually led to a moment of clarity around, you know, do I love the organization or do I love my career more? Mm-hmm. Um, and I do love mm-hmm. my profession and my career more, so hence the, the reason to move on. Um, but all on very good terms and, um, it, you know, it was just thinking about, okay, so how do I lean into that? How do I feel about that? And there were some personal things that I was um, working through at that time as well and it was just, you know, for me, it gifted me with some tools that um, I could use to have those those discussions with myself. Um, when I listened to Angela Duckworth, I, I did a lot of like walking and listening um, with, with these two um, pieces. and Why walking? Why is that? Um, I just seem to, I really enjoy being active and I really enjoy um, walking. I just mm. like walking. Um, I, I'm, I'm a real visual person. I love to be visually stimulated. I love things that are aesthetically pleasing. Um, I like seeing things that challenge my senses and I think, you know, when you're going on a journey and you're listening to things that are really challenging your thinking and you've got some amazing ways, um, things to look at that stimulate you, mm. um, it allows me to, to commit that to memory a bit more. Kind of, I, I think about you know, the green trees that I was looking at when I was walking through Faulkner Park while I was listening to Angela Duckworth and I was taking notes around her talking about grit paragons and talking about the, the attribute of grit and the grit mm. um, equation. And, and, you know, and for me, what made sense to me was the fact that she talks about grit being your talent. So it's, it's thinking about you know, what is it that you're innately gifted with? So what is your talent? Some people have more talent than other people, but the less talented people seem to sometimes become more successful. And you try and think, right, so why is that the case? Mm. And what, what is a, a key indicator of success for a person? And the attribute of grit is, you know, it makes sense to me. And, and through her research and, and the book that she's written, it, it absolutely makes sense that grit is the attribute. And grit is the, your ability to just keep forging ahead, mm. to pick yourself up, dust yourself off and get stuff done. When she talks about the grit equation, it's like talent plus effort equals skill and skill plus effort equals success, mm-hmm. right? So it's like this, this really amazing thing where you may not be the most talented person, but you might have this amazing work ethic and this ability to set a goal and really work through it. And I think, you know, for me, when I listened to that, I kind of went, all right, well, I'm not, you know, my talent wasn't as good as others, but somehow I've managed to just grind it out and just being super gritty with the way that I deliver and the way that I'm getting stuff done to get to where I've gotten to. Mm. Because you talk to my managers that managed me 10 years ago, they'd tell you that I fucking wasn't going to make it. And I know one of the places I worked at, that you, you'd ask my, my leader at that time, no, that dude's not going to make it in this industry. Hmm. You know, and I feel really proud to where I've gotten to now because I've just been super gritty and I've really worked on creating a skill, but then I work on turning that skill and applying more effort to it so I can com- become successful. And that for me was a game changer. So where did the grit come from then? Um, I, I stumbled across like this, so on, on Ted talks, I love Ted talks. Mm-hmm. Um, great resource. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Right. So there's another guy called Yves Moreau who's from Boston consulting group and he's got a couple of really amazing, um, Ted talks. If you want to check those out, they're incredible. Um, but I saw Angela Lee, she was Angela Lee Duckworth in the Ted talk and she talked about grit and it was just this 10 minute clip about what it was that she talked about. And then from there, I read some of her research papers mm. and then she released the, the book Grit. And um, So you were, you don't feel you were very gritty before, but then watching that, yeah, it kind of resonated in, with really lock yeah. that, lock that attribute in. And yeah. obviously here you are today. And you know, and it made me think, you know, okay, I've kind of been doing this already, but I didn't realize like that actually was what it was. And, mm. 
you know, it just intrigues me and I'd love to see, you know, I just, I just really appreciate some of the stuff that she does. I think she's fantastic. Mm. Um, who's been the greatest influence on your life growing up? And it could be somebody you didn't know or some other prominent figure uh, in your life. You know, uh, when you and I discussed doing this, um, com- well, having this conversation today and you mentioned that to me, I've, I've actually struggled with this. I've had some really fantastic people in my career and some fantastic people in my life. Um, you know, I've got some people that have remained my friends. Um, you know, you, you, sometimes you, you have people come through your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime, right? Mm. Um, well, you know, it's going to sound kind of, you know, funny, but it's, it's not a person. But I think, you know, my, my upbringing through hip-hop culture has really kind of taught me the hustle. Mm. And it's caught, taught me how to, be, how to be me. It's shaped me as a, as a human being. And it's molded my outlook on life and I think you know if you think um, and you know it's people can take it or leave it it's a style of music that some people love and it's a style of music some people hate but as a culture it's amazing right so if you think about hip hop as a culture it's a way of life it's not just a music form there's four cultures right so there's four subcultures of hip hop you got break dancers right so the people that like will dance you got the the DJs they're the people who will rock the tunes for the break dancers to dance to you got the graffiti writers the ones who create the visual aesthetic and this amazing sort of environment for people to look at whilst they're dancing and listening to music and you got the MCs are going to tell the story about where they came from how they got to where they're going and where they're going to right mm. and I think that if you pull all of those together it gives you the ability to be visionary it gives you the opportunity to think about what it is you're going to be saying to people but how do you articulate what it is that you're about um, it gives you the opportunity to create something that people can listen and move to or create a movement mm. or be a visionary mm. leader that people can connect to and they can connect to the cause, right? And you've got all these different things you can be doing within hip-hop and I think it teaches you some really great life skills and for me, that's probably been my biggest influence is the culture of hip-hop. Yeah, I think, uh, I think for myself, as I reflect back on our conversation, I think that, um, I, I don't think that was accidental. Yeah, I don't think who you are today, or I think who you are today, is because of all of that. It really mm. laid the seeds from from the hustle to the scrappiness to yeah. the relationships, um, and your the creative side as well. Yeah, I think you have done an amazing job embedding those into yourself, taking yeah. out the good, getting rid of the bad. And there's certainly, like we've talked about, there's been yeah. a lot of bad through those journeys as well too. Yes, but distilling. Yeah positive essences of all that and yeah. then leading that into to who you are today i mean we've talked about the creative element right yeah. and, and the respect for that and the ability to to weave that in the yeah. the the hustle turning into grit turning into just you know just giving it the relationships where yeah. you weren't you weren't trying to create relationships back then because you were trying to set an amazing network of people up or yeah. for talent acquisition or anything like that you were just trying to hustle just trying to make something happen and help yeah. by getting to know people and then all of a sudden falling into this when you're the yeah. uh, going through the um, uh, South Australia um, oh, the Young Business Leaders young business, program there we yeah. go um, where all of a sudden you had these you developed this amazing eclectic skill of assets yeah. and, and traits that gave you a disproportionate advantage against everybody else who yeah. and the thing I love and where this conversation back to the tattoos is you have you're, you're sort of uh, I wouldn't say an underdog but you've you've come from a completely different area and you've been armed with frankly an unfair skill set because everybody else is trying to duke it out over yeah. um, degrees or you know those things they've learned early on in their jobs the yeah. the, the, the typical training programs management programs but that apparently matter but 
maybe not necessarily so. Absolutely, you know, so somebody that hasn't got a, uh, somebody that hasn't finished high school, but yet sits with people with MBAs and multiple degrees and yeah. sets strategic plans and, you know, helps to build a vision within a business of massive scale, it's 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 not yeah. accidental. It's It's been <laughs> fostered you. through all that. So I think that's, um, it absolutely makes sense. There's probably like two call-outs if we talk about people. Um, you know, my, my oldest and closest and best friend is um, a person by the name of Sash. And uh, we've been friends for a really long time, um, since we were about 16 and 17 years old, right? So, you know, good 21 years, 20, 21 years. But if I ever need someone to hold a mirror up to <laughs> me, he's that guy. Mm. Um, and the other person, I, you know, I, I give great thanks to and... As I mentioned before, my son's a fantastic guy, but he's, a, he's an amazing human being and he's an old soul. And mm. uh, he, he's the other person that I do this for. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it, it's, it makes it all worth it. You know, if he was to tell me he's proud of me as being his dad, then I feel like I've done my job well. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, what gives you a disproportionate return on investment of your time and energy? Yeah, yeah. Some, I, you know I, I mentioned it before. I think for me, I'm into me. Um, I, I have a routine in the morning that works really well for me, and I think that that actually gives me a fantastic return on investment because by the time I land in the office, <laughs> I get in a bit later than other people. Yeah. Like there's a lot of people that get in at seven and finish at kind of you know four o'clock or whatever, or seven thirty, four thirty, whatever. Um, I reckon about nine o'clock, but I'm firing. I, I get in there and I'm ready mm. to get get things going. I've had a half a day before I've even gotten to the office, so I think that that gives me. A disproportionate um, return on investment is that I put in that time in the morning that you know some some mornings is a struggle to get up, but I come out the other side of it and I'm pumping and I feel fantastic. Yeah. Um, and it just gives me great endorphins that I can just totally vibe off for the rest of the day, and it just sets me up for success for the day. And so, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk talks a lot about you know meetings Gary and yeah, Gary V. He's an absolute legend. You either love him or you hate him, but I think he's <laughs> a, for me he's a, he's an absolute gun. And you know, and, and you know, another dude. I just see he gets he puts a hustle in, man. Like he he gets it done and. You know, really respect him um, for the way that he does it. But you know, he talks about the one meeting. You know, he does. I'm pretty sure it's him. He talks about like, the one meeting he doesn't miss is the meeting with himself in the morning. Like, mm. when he trains in the morning. You know, and there's a bunch of other people I've said. You know, I've listened to the talk about. You know, they have this one meeting a day, and the one meeting they never miss is the meeting with themselves yeah. when they train. Yeah. So for me, training is a really big part of my life. It's my natural antidepressant. It's my natural anti-anxiety. It's my natural endorphin. It's my it's, it's what I need. Yeah. yeah. I love the idea of getting a win on the board before you step into the yeah. office because yeah. even if you have an absolute awful day, you still yeah. have that one win and trying to create it no matter how small it is. I know yeah. Tim Ferriss talks about, you know, make your bed in the morning. Right? Yes. And I heard this and there was the Marine, there's another Marine yeah. guy that does the same thing. It's like, you know, if you have a fucking shitty day, you're going to come home to a nicely made Yeah, day. absolutely. So yeah. I've got a, uh, I've got an app. Uh, it's called The Way of Life. So I track... So you got to tell me how to, app to tell you how to make your bed. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's only one sheet. I think I can figure it out. But um, The Way of Life, it's, it's about picking three behaviors to foster every single day. Yeah. And I, I definitely don't achieve on... I don't achieve always on, on all three. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm getting better at yeah. more discipline. And that's obviously something I really believe in. But it's about having one very simple thing. And right yeah. now it's about just checking my bank account. So I can, I can be in bed still. I don't even have to roll out of bed. I can pick yeah. up my phone. Um, I can check my bank account. 
check how much money I have, just keeps me mindful about yep. where my finances are at and keeping discipline around that. Mm -hmm. And right there, I can take off my win. It's something yep. so small, nice. yep. but it, it absolutely helps when I get to the end of the day and I'm doing my five minute journal, you know, what am I grateful yep. for the day? Ticking off, you know, did yep. I meditate? No, oh, I didn't meditate. Um, but that's okay because I still got two wins on the board regardless of how my day went. Yep. And uh, it's, 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 it's almost too simple. It is, life but, doesn't need to be hard, man. We, we, we all overcomplicate stuff, you know. I think I'm, I mentioned before, and I don't think I quite got to to where I was trying to head to with this thought. But it was like, you know, just really quickly was we overcomplicate things. And when you're younger and less mature in your career, you overcomplicate things to make them so complex that others can't understand them because it validates that you are smarter than them. Mm. And I went through this whole phase of trying to make things so fucking complicated that you know that I couldn't even understand them if I was look back at them now. But you know, it's a real gift and, and talent and skill that you need to learn is like, you know, just make things simple. Mm -hmm. The whole kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Like just, mm -hmm. just make it really simple. And, you know, you talked before about, you know, committing things to memory. It's like, you know, you learn something when you try and explain it to somebody else. But if you're going to explain it to somebody else, if you think, how would I explain this to my, my child for them to understand and you can get that across, you've, you've won it. Like mm -hmm. that's a really, really good skill to have. So, you know, things just need to be simple. Like getting your W's on the board for the day. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, what uh, what mantra or inspiring quote has most changed your life and why? And um, love maybe if you remember too. Where did you first hear it? Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. There's a bunch of them. There's a there's a heap of them. Um, well, here's the thing too that I know from my my last interview with Corey Wassel at yeah. First Wealth. It doesn't have to be just one because I think both yeah. Corey and I resonated with the fact that the uh, a quote can be a bit of a, um, it can be a jacket that you wear. Yeah, yeah. You, 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 you need it because of the weather and you need it because that's what you get. But it doesn't have to be something that maybe is with you for your whole entire yeah. life. So maybe maybe just what, what quote is really sticking with you the moment or what, what mantra has really, helped, really resonated well with you as you've gone through this journey in your life over the last however many months or years. Probably right now if I was to think about it, there's a track by a guy called Jay Treads back from the 90s. Um, and it was a track that Sasha and I used to listen to. He's got the 12 inch for it. Um, and it's a track called Make It Happen. And basically the chorus line is like, he bangs on about a whole bunch of different things, but the whole, the whole crux of it is, I'm going to make it happen. Mm. I'm just going to make it happen. And for me, that's basically what it's about. You, you don't create nothing in this life unless you actually take an opportunity to take that shot and make it happen yourself. Fantastic. Um, you kind of already briefly touched on this, but, uh, tell me about your morning routine. I'd love to see you get up at 4.45 yeah. in the morning. I know we were talking earlier about yeah. your, uh, your, your massive blender that's sitting out in the corner. <laughs> what's your, uh, what's your morning routine? So my morning routine is I wake up at, um, 4.45. I get up, I, um, get changed obviously because putting clothes on is an essential part that, of leaving that, the house. Important. That's yeah, important. It is. It yeah. is important. I got caught like once and it spent, yeah, it wasn't good. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, I get up in the morning, 4.45, I head out, I grab a, a coffee, um, from wherever that's open. It's generally 7-Eleven just for a dollar coffee. <laughs> nothing so, wrong with the dollar coffee. Nothing, nothing wrong with nothing the dollar, wrong coffee. The dollar <laughs> coffee. But, um, I get, get myself a, a long black and I jump on the tram. I listen to a bit of music and I go on train. Mm -hmm. Um, I train at RBT South, um, in South Melbourne. Um, great place. I train with a whole bunch of friends. I have some good conversations before I get out to the day. Um, and then I will come home. I'll listen to a bit of music. Um, maybe grab another coffee and I'll come home and I'll cook or make myself some breakfast. So I generally try and have 
your protein in the morning, some fresh vegetables. Um, you gotta talk about your. You gotta, you gotta talk about your uh, <laughs> your full routine. Come on, mate. Uh, so so I have like a, a protein shake that will have um, <laughs> half an avocado, some raw broccoli, uh, spinach and kale, um, protein, um, half a banana, a bit of water, and some fresh ginger, and that's blended up in my. You butte 1500 reps <laughs> per minute uh, blender that um, probably wakes all the neighbors up. And whilst I'm doing that, um, is and, and having that, I take a moment to reflect and I practice gratefulness and I think mm. about what it is that I'm grateful for for the day. Um, or if I'm not doing it there, I'll, I'll have a shower and do that. Um, and then I generally will head off to work and I kind of walk into the office feeling like I've had a, a whole morning. I feel like I'm really ready to, to get the day. There's a track sometimes I listen to just to get me going mm. by Hudson Mohawk called Warriors. Um, your pump up anthem it's, yeah it's a bit of an anthem, anthem that track there's a whole bunch of music I'm listening to at the moment the new Sanford record's amazing um, it's called Process it's just an incredible record music's a huge part of my life mm. um, I don't know if anyone you know will watch The Family Guy but there's an episode where Peter Griffin walks around and he has a soundtrack playing all the time in his head so if he's walking up to open the fridge it'd be like dun, 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 <laughs> when he's opening the fridge um, I always have a soundtrack playing in my head whether I've got headphones on or not Yeah. so I've always got some sort of theme music um I, yeah, I don't play the Rocky song when I run up the stairs at work and running late, <laughs> but it's normally some sort of music playing. But yeah, that's that's my morning routine: music, gratefulness, good food, and training. Mm, fantastic, um, Jason. I really want to thank you for your time. Uh, this has been absolutely incredible. Just to learn and grow from yourself, absorb everything you. into it today. Um, for people that are interested, how can they follow your journey and stay in touch with yourself? Yeah, um, well, look, it's a, I've got um, a bit of an online presence um if you're into music and stuff i might just take a bit of an opportunity to plug yeah, some new please. music that's coming out please, um if you guys want to hear a little bit about um what my creative outlet looks like um i go under the name of beyond june is my artist name um and i'm writing a record at the moment with a band called solar elixir so we're about to uh, release that record over the next couple of months so keep an eye out um on my beyond june soundcloud um page um there's some music on there too at the moment or alternatively you can listen to uh, solar elixir through spotify um, iTunes, Apple Music, um, and Google Play, um, and uh, you know, follow me on LinkedIn. Yeah. So LinkedIn, Jason Price, look me up. Yeah, fantastic, and uh, absolutely. Keep, let me know when that goes, because uh, what I'll do is on the Facebook page for uh, the Y Two Podcast, I'll make sure I uh, broadcast Excellent. it out there as well too. So uh, for all the listeners that are uh, keen to uh, <laughs> keen to hear the music, they can uh, they can check it out there. So stay tuned Excellent. for the Facebook page. Again, Jason, thank you so much for your time. Dustin, look, thank you so much, and I just want to say it's been a great experience today, um, and I'm so glad you decided to to pull the trigger instead of just aiming, mate. This has been a really good experience, so thank you. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Hi everyone, and thank you again for joining me for today's chat. Please make sure you jump on Facebook to quickly like and share this podcast episode. If you're not already following me, please take another quick minute to hit that like button so you can stay up to date with all new podcast episodes, exciting announcements, and other things going on. You can find me on Facebook at Project Y2, that's at Project Y and the number two. And you can also follow me on LinkedIn if you're there. Don't forget to share and rate this on wherever you find your podcast episodes, and I look forward to having you join me again for our next Y2 podcast.